Hello, hello. Welcome back to another Fight Site Prediction panel. Uh, this panel is special because it's not about a specific event. It's about the state of a division. Uh, the UFC lightweight division got very interesting recently when Dustin Poirier knocked out Conor McGregor. He knocked him out cold. He went unconscious. There seems to be debate about that, which is very interesting to me. And we're not going to talk about it in this podcast, but he did knock him out. Uh, but yeah, the division's gotten very interesting. So uh, in the co-main event of that same card at UFC 257, Michael Chandler, the former Bellator lightweight champion multiple time, uh, knocked out Dan Hooker, which uh, was a matchup we were all very worried about. If you listen to our last panel, which is about that card, uh, we, were both very con- we were all very concerned about both of those matchups for the winners. We thought it was going to be rough, rough sledding for both. And they both showed up and performed about as good as they ever have, I would say, you know, close to career best for both of them. Uh, hard to tell with Chandler because it was so short, but really outstanding efforts. So there's excitement around the division again in a way that there wasn't before. Before it was like, who's going to beat Khabib? Now it's like we have at least four guys who are competitive with each other, and there's going to be some sort of mini tournament that's going to result in the, in the next title holder, unless Nate Diaz somehow finds his way in there, which would be insane. That would be insane to me, but I don't understand the UFC's like pay-per-view strategy. I don't know what actually results in buys for them. So maybe it would make sense for them to do that, but really hoping they respect the rankings and do what makes sense from a contendership standpoint. And there's no crazy money fights thrown in there. Uh, Cause there's a really obvious thing happening here with the top four. You have Dustin Poirier, who's now ranked number one coming off the win against McGregor in an awesome win streak before his fight with Khabib. Oh, he's also coming off the Dan Hooker win. Uh, then you have Justin Gaethje, who just lost to Khabib, but was on a great win streak before that. Um, looking really good, looking reinvigorated, slightly new parts of his game. We'll get to it for sure. So he's still he's still waiting in the wings. And of course, he had a very competitive fight with Dustin Poirier uh, before his newest win streak. And then uh, we have Charles Oliveira, ranked number three. He's on like an eight-fight win streak, I believe. Uh, Kevin Lee and Tony Ferguson are his two most recent wins. That might be correct. I have all of their pages pulled up for this reason. Yeah. Uh, I would also throw in uh, Jim Miller and David Tamer to that streak that, that makes it significant. He's on a good little run right now. And uh, we just broke down that performance in great detail on the uh, the Fight Sites MMA podcast after UFC 256. So just throwing out some reference material if you want super in-depth about all those topics. And the last person ranked is Michael Chandler, who jumps into the rankings from outside of the organization up to number four and uh you know off the win over dan hooker dan hooker's eight now he dropped two spots from number six so you debut beat the number six guy and become number four for some people that that might be an issue but you have to remember the organization was rating him very highly because they were ready to put him in as an alternate for the gaichi khabib title fight so regardless of how you think about it it does make sense just from you know consistency sake uh but we're going to talk about how all of these guys match up against each other in an attempt to, you know, figure out what, what the possible trajectory could be for the division, because, you know, with Khabib retiring, the next lightweight champion is going to be in a great spot. There's a lot of eyes on the division, a uh, very exciting place. And uh, we've talked about it a bunch of times. You'll see in an, an article that will probably come out before this panel is released. Uh, the lightweight division has a ton of unranked talent as well. The division's really getting spicy right now, so I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, before we begin, uh, introductions are necessary. Uh, so I have, as always, uh, Sriram Morelli-Darin from the Fight Site, and we also host the 
MMA podcast together. What's up? Hello. How you feeling? Uh, I'm all good. Um, background's different because I just moved back into campus. So Ooh. no, that's not fun at all. Okay. <laughs> but excited to have this conversation. But you're still on your victory lap about the Dustin Poirier win, right? Clearly, there's that, that victory lap will never end. I can see it on your face. You're very happy. All right. Next, we have uh, another frequent guest on the Fight Site panels. We have Dan Tom from MMA Junkie and a bunch of other stuff that we've discussed in the past. Dan Tom, how are you doing today? Always good to be here. Uh, you know, just uh, trying not to be too old behind technology as I struggle to unmute myself, but happy to be here, guys. It's tough. It's tough. I talk all the time with my, my mic muted and I'm like, oh, I'm so dumb. There's old and there's dumb and someday I'll be both. So just wait. Uh, and then we have another Dan in the mix. We have Dan Albert, who you might remember from a recent episode of the Fight Site podcast, uh, MMA podcast about Calvin Cater and Max Holloway pre-fight. And if you listen to that, you would realize that uh, Dan Albert is very smart. If you followed him on Twitter or read any of his work, you would also know that. So how are you doing tonight, Dan? Albert. I've had the last two hours of my life playing a video game where endless exploding shurikens hit me. So I am doing pretty well, all things considered. Mm -hmm. I don't have any interesting things happening in my life. I'm just a freak. That's the best way to be if you're going to be talking about MMA a lot. This is not a sport for normal people to discuss. And I can relate about video game frustration. I uh, was just trying to complete the waterfall level on the Lion King Sega Genesis game, which is the game, the level I could never beat as a child. I have thousands, thousands of attempts at that level. Never beaten it. Never beaten oh, it. I got oh, close. I wasn't struggling, Ed. I was having fun. You're killing it? All right. Well, I'm a loser then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm on. Uh, I, I got Hitman 3 from all the funds from uh, the Fife site. So thank you all for that. You guys are fueling his video game habits. Yeah, it's great. I'm awful at it, and I don't know why I got it, but it's pretty fun. Just getting getting better is the fun part. All right, so yeah, we're we're gonna get started on these uh on these breakdowns of potential matchups. We're just gonna you know give our thoughts on where both fighters are at the moment, and give our predictions for how the matchup might shake out. And just you know, because there's only so much time in the day, and people have the knowledge that they have. Not all of us might have a ton to say about every matchup. I'm speaking for myself because I'm very quickly going to give shorter answers and, and not be super invested in every matchup, but we'll get there. And uh, a little added intrigue to this podcast is that uh, there are a lot of Dans in our lives for the fight site. Uh, we know many people named Dan. You might remember Dan Martin, also, also goes by Danny, uh, has been a big part of the site. And uh, yeah, we just, we have too many Dans. Uh, we, we figured just to sort it out, we create the Dan power rankings. And I don't remember where the standings currently sit, but we'll definitely be updating them after this podcast. Uh, so it's a direct competition between Dan Tom and Dan Albert. And I, uh, I hope you, the fans, can also weigh in on which Dan you prefer after we're done. Is that too much pressure, Dan Albert? You're sweating there. <laughs> No, I hate competitions. I lose by <laughs> default. That's the more fun way to go. He just wins by you. default. Just jinxed you. The, the, the fans love humility. All right. So with that being said, we're going to get started. Uh, I've been talking a lot, so I'll just say the first matchup we're going to discuss is Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje, and it's a rematch. And honestly, I don't have new stuff to say about it, and I'm tired of talking, so I'm going to immediately pass it off to Sriram. Uh, yeah, I mean, I... 
I don't have a ton of new stuff to say about Poirier Gaethje. I think we know where their games stand to a decent. Poirier is pretty much the same fighter that he was back in the Gaethje days. Um, incredibly durable, fantastic combination puncher in the pocket, good southpaw jab to drop the guard and punch around it or punch the body. And I mean, he's not the best on the back foot, but I think if you allow him to get pocket exchanges, he can use those to keep guys from pressuring recklessly. Uh, we saw in the Conor McGregor, uh, in the Conor McGregor fight that um, he's relatively aware of specific counters that his opponents have. Uh, as we saw him take apart Conor McGregor's that backstepping left hand, and Justin Gaethje wasn't able to counterpunch uh, Poirier that often. Where Gaethje had a ton of success against Poirier was with the leg kicks, and I think that's where Gaethje is going to struggle more in the rematch than in the first fight because, as we've seen with. Um, Gaethje's new approach. I think my hottest take on Gaethje is that he didn't necessarily get better with the change in style that he's had. He's changed and he's pretty much as effective. I think he, for example, he's a worse matchup for someone like Eddie Alvarez now than he used to be. But against most guys, I think I like him more as a pressure fighter. And Dustin Poirier is one of those matchups, in my opinion, where against Poirier the first time, Gaethje could like pull out the jab or pull out exchanges from uh, from Poirier and like counter kick him to the legs or pull out counter punches where I think if he's going to concede the back foot or take the back foot and make Poirier come forward, Poirier is going to have a little bit more opportunities to drop the guard like at his own pace instead of, you know, being forced into these and getting his leg kicked out of stance. So I think I'd go with Poirier slightly more confidently. I think Poirier can throw the counter punches off and, uh, you know, just work around Gaethje's defenses a little bit more comfortably in terms of pace and in terms of, um, not getting drawn into more counterpunchable exchanges. So your official pick is? My official pick is Dustin Poirier. All right. So on our first fantasy matchup, we we think Shuram is going Dustin Poirier over Justin Gaethje in the rematch. Uh, you know, make them two and zero in that one. And I think I think a lot of a lot of good points there. And I have nothing to add. So we're going to throw it off to uh, to Dan Tom for his thoughts on Poirier versus Gaethje two. Yeah. Uh, first of all, uh, all Dan's are wired alike, and I, I share, share similar thoughts on competition. Uh, you know, however, I'm excited for this to this discussion. I'm like I'm like Ed Gallo waking up in the morning on his new Disney kick. You know, it's probably playing. You know, I uh, just can't wait to be king while he's making his coffee. And you know what? So are the fighters we're talking about here. So it's it's all love, and I appreciate that game too. But uh, before I further go sidetrack, I, I just want to throw in a caveat uh, here. Uh, I think sure I'm laid it out really excellently, especially the point about Poirier um, showing that he can game plan around certain techniques, at least maybe from a tech, uh, you know, from a, a technique for technique or uh, within the realm of tactics um, to that, uh, to, you know, to that extent. And I know even to the game planning extent, we've all had criticisms and a lot of the things we put up, whether it was American top team or Poirier, we quickly took down as soon as he got washed by Khabib. And, but he reminded us that, okay, he, he can still do these things. So I think that's, an important note however my clever hipsterish caveat here which i do feel is uh, relevant both for analysis and although we're not talking about a betting perspective but it's one of those um, analysis points that even crosses over to there um and that's big cage versus small cage and especially in these days because not to time stamp it or whatever and and hopefully we're moving forward to more quote unquote i'm using air quotes normalcy but let's face it it's it's for the for the for, for the near future and for the last year it's either been in the small apex cage or the regulation size cage. Now, this was more of a relevant question uh, as UFC was in its earlier age. And as we got into the big Fox era, we saw more um, of an organized Dana White and in company, they liked the bigger look for advertisements. So we saw less of the small cage. It became less of a factor for our analysis. Um, 
I don't want to compromise it or make people do dual picks. I'm going to be giving one pick two here, but I do want to lay out for all these matchups. Um, I will be touching on what I think will happen in a big versus a small cage. And for the relevance of this one, without getting into too much of a Gaethje's, but I will say for Gaethje, I believe that a big cage suits him for almost all these matchups on paper, whether or not you're going to pick them, uh, except for the one we're talking about at hand. I actually, uh, my pick is going to be Poirier to, to, to give my hand here. And so I don't talk too long, but I do believe that if, if this matchup and rematch happens in the small cage in the apex, um, I actually think that bodes better for Gaethje. I know Poirier traditionally does his best re- wrestling work against the fence. So therefore you would think a small cage should, um, you know, uh, be a plus for Poirier. And then Poirier shows improved wrestling in the open in his last fight. So you're like, okay, maybe that's going to, a small cage is going to bring that out faster, but I feel like it would actually bring the exchange um, at a temperature, especially that even though Poirier was still able to, you know, uh, a lot of us wrong, gladly slower, by the way, right? Um, in the last fight, he, we, we still saw that fast starters can hit him, right? That's still kind of a, a mainstay problem. I don't think anybody was too off if they had that read on Poirier. So in the small cage with Gaethje, um, and he is one of those guys, even with Poirier's improved chin, he is one of those guys where Poirier did go out by somebody and it was a Justin Gaethje punch. I don't think we'd be that crazy. And even though Poirier has improved his leg kicking offense, I still believe the open stance matchup, not the Southpaw for Southpaw we just saw against Connor, but the open stance leg kicking matchup, I still believe favors Gaethje at the end of the day. Um, so I think it's a much closer fight, uh, but I will take Poirier both in the big cage and, and in the small to make adjustments down the stretch. That's a very good point. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely remember that for, for future fights. Uh, that's, that's definitely something that, you know, doesn't cross my mind for pay-per-views. I feel like they'll probably do big cage and I would hope that they would stick these all in pay-per-views, but we have no idea how it's going to shake out. Um, so Dan Albert, you're going to finish off with uh Poirier Gaethje too. And then I also want you to start, uh, with, uh, the first pick for Poirier Oliveira as well when you're done. Um, okay, so the whole thing with Poirier Gaethje, so their original fight was best described as often a battle of their guards, usually because they have really unique guards. Typically, how you break through them is different kinds of utility. Uh, Gaethje utilizes their traditional high guard. Usually, that makes it more versatile for him to counterpunch off, but Dustin's is a lot harder to break through, but it kind of compromises his movement because he'll have to reset a lot. I think that's common knowledge at this point. But most of the time, yeah, so the leg kicks were the game-breaking-like thing Gaethje figured out how to get through to hit Dustin consistently. It took Dustin, if I recall, because I watched this way too long ago and for way too much time, it took Dustin roughly a few minutes to figure out, okay, so I can control you a bit with the jab in this fight. So my lead hand's instrumental to helping me work side to side with my movement. Because one thing is uh, Dustin's... Uh, defensive cage craft, I think we all know is not the best, but I do think he does have tools that have kept him safe. We've seen that in Gaethje and he showed it against McGregor and like I called it and Fano called it, it would be his lead hand. So proud of that. Um, So that's ultimately what he has going for him. If he meets on front moving Gaethje, or as I prefer to call him violence idiot. On the other hand, we have surprise. I'm suddenly airborne Gaethje, otherwise known as backwards Gaethje, who I I'm kind of interested in for the sake of this discussion because 
I think a lot of people assume, oh, he has greater control of the overall like exchanges of the fight or where he wants the exchange is to d- take place. You know, I'm not 100% certain that's true because we've seen him mostly fight guys so far, namely Cowboy and uh, Tony, who aren't exactly guys who can create like layered exchanges or entries the way that someone like Dustin can. And I do think giving Dustin as much space as possible to work and to create those entries is a huge, huge problem. Um, But I don't necessarily think this fight is designed for either guy to necessarily, like, dominate the other end. I do think, like, there are set areas that will have advantages. Gaethje's probably going to get the kicks off because he sets guys up into them with his own movement. Uh, Dustin, however, can still work around Gaethje's guard, even though Gaethje has started moving towards more of a head movement and then counter punching, closing the door kinds of offense. It's still worrisome that he looks for so much offense, so much on the back foot. And that's kind of what got him screwed a bit versus Khabib. It got him dropped by Tony, et cetera, et cetera. I think um, also we, one thing I always forget to mention about Poirier and Gaethje's first fight is Poirier did eventually find an answer to the leg kicks and it was mainly fainting with that lead hand to set up the counter left consistently. That's ultimately what got him at the end. And I I don't know because like these two guys don't really have a precedent for having rematches where they have to strategically go in to prep. That's going to be an asterisk. Um, I don't really know what that's going to look like, but that is something to look for. I, I do think it just depends which Gaethje shows up. I think, Violence idiot probably gets KO'd again, but it's another violent war. So maybe he goes into it thinking, yeah, let's go full surprise airborne mode. And that becomes more interesting because it becomes two guys who are looking to like control what kinds of exchanges favor them. And I don't really know what that looks like. I know Gaethje has more answers with shifting in and targeting the body which might help him versus Dustin's guard. But the, the issue with Gagey is always going to be like, how long can you keep this up? Because Dustin has some cheat code, like gas tank, second, third, fourth win issue. Nobody understands it and nobody will. But I think the, I think ultimately um, the l- layers of the exchange is why I feel like Poirier just has the advantage on the feet ultimately and I, I think it's already been kind of outlined otherwise, but that's how I feel about this matchup. Um, yeah, I, I think Poirier knocks him out, but I would be shocked if it wasn't extremely violent and competitive again. I don't think it's built to not be that way, just with how these two guys are. Um, Ed, do you want me to go into Oliveira? Okay. Um, Oliveira, I confess, I don't really know that well, um, compared to the two I just talked about. So I'm mostly going off of observations I've made. So the main thing about Charles Oliveira is that he's gradually turned into a more heavy, aggressive pressure style, mostly made through ancillary kicks, um, mostly applies a high guard, stands very tall, constantly puts up the pressure against you. And one thing I've also picked up on is that he loves to draw you in to counters or draw you into the clinch where he likes to turn you, elbow you, or get body locks. Ben's video on his reactive takedowns is excellent for that. Um, 
The one thing that I worry about with Oliveira, though, is that you can hit him pretty consistently if you throw as he does. And I worry about layers of the exchange with him consistently because what he'll do is he'll throw a throwaway out and he's expecting you to come back and then he'll look for that single shot. But what happens if you are anticipating that and can continue the exchange? How does he handle that? And there's also the fact that when I've seen guys throw with him, Kevin Lee, for instance, had a lot of success with this. What happens then? Because if someone has enough like raw power to time him or be able to stun him, like that's probably not good for him, like in terms of layers. The other question I have, and it's kind of asking like Oliveira himself. I think Oliveira tends to be a bit too over aggressive sometimes because he'll go for random jump knees, jump kicks sometimes. And he's accurate enough to like, know, yeah, I should do this against the fence, but often like it doesn't collapse space the way I think that it would help him, so to speak. The other question I have is like, how good is his overall like cage craft exactly? Because I see him pressure a lot. I see him look for guys to constantly stay in their face a bit. I see him trying to cut guys off, but I don't know if his success is a product of him actually being good at it versus the guys he's just dealing with don't know what they're doing on the back foot. And I think that's kind of some concerns because although I'm sure he can push someone like Dustin Poirier back, when you factor in like the layered exchanges, some of Dustin's answers on the back foot and inherent advantage in the pocket because nobody should in their right might want to mess with Dustin Poirier and extended layers in the pocket in this division. I don't think anyone can without like some control of the exchanges. And I think, I, I think that makes it hard for me to like really pick Oliveira in like a strict sense of um, a striking battle. But when I factor in the takedown and the clinch game to nullify Poirier, then that changes things. And it makes me think, yeah, I think Oliveira has a shot, but this fight is more deceptively dangerous for him than I think most people think it is. But I, I would pick Oliveira to beat Poirier. Yeah, I think I think it's a terrifying matchup. And uh, I think Dan Tom has some thoughts on this as well. Yeah, so uh, now we're shifted over to Oliveira Poirier. And this was one I was thinking of too. Um uniquely as well because not just for the cage dynamic but also this is a a fairly different kind of stance dynamic that we don't really get to see of course Charles Oliveira three and one um against you know it's a fresh matchup for one and as well as dances too he's he's three and one total against UFC level southpaws he's lost to switch stance fighters like you know Pettis he's beat switch stance fighters even though it was a grappling match like Ferguson but to straight southpaws obviously one and one against Jim Miller he gets touched up against Jonathan Brookins, but he looks really comfortable on the feet facing him. And keep in mind, this was Jonathan Brookins the same year down away class uh, that Dustin Poirier fought and also had surprising issue at first with Jonathan Brookins. Um, this is going way back. Then we don't really get to see him face a southpaw until he gets his aforementioned revenge against Jim Miller. Of course, that we don't get too much of a sample on the feet uh, until the most relevant southpaw sample, which, of course, David Timor. I don't know if that's why. Uh, Ed mentioned those matchups off the top, but you know that, that those were excellent matchups to mention because they're very relevant to this discussion. And I'm sure you guys are the same way. We all kind of probably reserve a right somewhat to 
change our mind for these matchups if they actually get made, of course, especially those of us who put out articles and whatnot, um, because a lot of information can be brought to the forefront. But um, yeah, I think this is a deceptively dangerous one for Poirier. Um, if this is in the small cage, I actually would pick Charles Oliveira uh, to upset him um, because of the double leg dynamic and whatnot and just the way they, they grapple. However, um, the reason why I would still pick Poirier probably overall in a competitive matchup is because not just to drum the beat, uh, hit the drum again of adjustments down the stretch, but even though I would dare to say more of us, myself included, have probably been more guilty of overestimating Poirier's grappling than underestimating it. Um, that being said, I don't think it's that hard of an argument to make, or at least I don't think any of us should be surprised if he were to get into a similar battle that Pettis, who has been accused of either breaking mentally or just physically breaking, right? Um, or Lamas, who is an underrated grappler. So there's no there's no secret shade there, by the way. But in those matchups, we saw people that can kind of swim in those in those kind of scrambly shores um, against a positional or a dominant, you know, uh, person that that can close the show, like a Khabib. Obviously, not a great idea, not a great grappling style. But it's not exactly a death sentence, as dangerous as Oliveira is. It's not exactly a death sentence to mess with him on the ground. And again, I'm a guy who doesn't underrate Paul Felder, that being said, and no disrespect to Paul Felder, but I think he's a good example of it. You know, has Oliveira gotten better? Can you keep holding the Felder thing over his head? No, but I do think that kind of adds to this point I'm trying to make where I don't think we should be surprised if even in the small cage where it would favor Oliveira and he would be an underdog by Vegas uh, standards, no matter what you think, no matter what cage it's in. Um, I still wouldn't be shocked if Poirier is able to survive those scares, uh, especially if it's more from, um, you know, from the back, uh, his, you know, as far as back defense, I know he got sunk in, but it looked like he was kind of already beat by the time Khabib got him. And then as far as guillotines and front headlock goes, that's, I think more of a danger for Charles Oliveira's game. However, it doesn't always play, but if a guy is good at something, chances are he understands the defense. And Poirier, even though he goes to that guillotine too much, he does love him some guillotines and front headlock chokes, right? Darces were his thing back in the day. So you got to think he's got some comfortability um, to fight from there. So um, without just saying adjustments down the stretch, I do think he his dogged style, which gets him into trouble against grappling styles, isn't necessarily a death sentence against Oliveira plus body work check hooks up top. Um, I, I would take uh, I would take Poirier, but uh, I would be telling people the value from a betting perspective would be on Oliveira. Oh yeah, uh, I think both of you have made some very interesting points. I think the issue they both pose interesting issues for each other. I think this is kind of like. Um, how he felt about Chandler Hooker is that both guys could like completely wreck each other if they fought the right fight. On Poirier's part, I think someone with Oliveira's very like, so Oliveira used to be like our example for a high guard, not necessarily being a good thing because in a lot of his previous fights, he'd kind of just shell up. And um, on the feet, that's not really, especially against a puncher as dynamic as Poirier and as good at Poirier as, um, as good as Poirier at ripping through guards, attacking the body when guys shell up as he did against Justin Gaethje, working around the guard as he did against Justin Gage, a much more responsive high guarder than Charles Oliveira used to be and probably still kind of is. I struggle to see Oliveira having a fun time on the feet in that fight, especially looking at the Kevin Lee fight again, where Lee fought very bizarrely. He fought kind of, I don't want to say fought scared because I don't know the kind of uh, 
technical bent that TriStar gave him. He fought very TriStar-y, and that's not generally a way that I want Kevin Lee to fight. But even fighting that fight, he had a, a surprising amount of success, combination punching with Oliver in the pocket, even if Oliver was clearly the bigger hitter and started like walking him into uppercuts later in the fight. I think that kind of fight is very ugly for Charles Oliveira and one where I'd expect his men, like I've been saying this for the last couple of Oliveira fights that I've been proven wrong every single time. And I'm probably going to stick with it just because we haven't really seen it tested yet since the time I started saying it. Fighters who tend to break mentally, it takes a lot for me to say that they're not going to do that the next time they run into a really tough fight. Uh, David Tamer kind of was for Charles Oliveira. But after that, at the elite level, Kevin Lee was even more breakable than Oliveira at like any point in his career. And Tony Ferguson just wasn't the kind of matchup to make Oliveira go through any kind of adversity. If Poirier survives early, and if Poirier starts pouring it on him early, I'm not sure I'd expect Oliveira to stay in the fight mentally. That said, the way that Poirier deals with the clinch and deals with takedown attempts is incredibly worrying to me uh, in a Charles Oliveira fight because... Well, for one thing, the way Poirier closes distance, it does leave a lot of openings for reactive shots. Uh, he's shifting forward. He's squared up in the pocket a lot. And a lot of the focus on that has been in terms of his positioning in the pocket, how he got killed by Michael Johnson. But it also leaves the opening for reactive shots because his hips are square. And Charles Oliveira is an incredibly, um, Oliveira is a very good reactive shot. Uh, he's very crafty in terms of clinch entries, getting to his body locks and taking guys down off there. I won't necessarily give Poirier the guillotine either, which is one very specific concern I've had about Oliveira uh, since like Lamas and Pettis, which is that he's guillotinable because he's so like all offense as a grappler. Um, Poirier won't necessarily have that. He'll get put on his back pretty early, I think. And another thing is that Oliveira, for all his all offense tendencies, has been a lot better at using those in... Um, has been a lot better at using those to facilitate positional control. For more details, uh, you should probably go watch that podcast that Ryan was on about Oliveira Ferguson, where Oliveira would use submission attempts to keep positional control and bail on them as soon as they started um, being risky in terms of keeping the position. So I think Poirier would struggle there. Uh, I, I think I'm going to have to go with Oliveira just on how I feel about Poirier's grappling as a whole and his wrestling. I think he's going to be giving up a little bit too much um, of Oliveira's fight, but over five rounds, I think there's space for what I'd consider an upset because I think Oliveira is, uh, we still haven't seen a lot of what, what I think Oliveira needs to have fixed to be a bona fide elite presence. And Pori is the kind to test that if it goes long, but the official pick is Charles Oliveira. Yeah, over five rounds, I, I definitely feel like it favors Dustin Poirier. Um, and I definitely wanted to touch on how Charles Oliveira is being perceived these days. Um, I'm not saying like a lot of people are acting like he's like significantly jumped levels, but I do think um, that the potency of his offense, like the, the efficacy of his approach might be being overrated by people who haven't watched his whole career and are acting like he does all these new things now and it's leading to all the success. So since doing all these new things, he hasn't lost. Um, that's not necessarily true. So, you know, a lot of his, the, the pressure tactics that he's put on the feet, I, I really surprised myself, even as someone who's watched his entire UFC career, I, I went back and watched, you know, a bunch of his early fights and he's been doing more or less the same, the same things on the feet for a really long time. Which fights did I watch? I think the first one I watched was the Hatsu Hiyoki fight. That was extremely, very much a grappling match. Um, I think, I think that's a relevant fight. 
I think that's like the precursor to the Pettis fight, just how many, how all the positional changes, which we mentioned he might've fixed up uh, in the Ferguson fight. And Ryan had a really, really good segment about that. Um, I watched the Stevens fight. I think the Stevens fight is actually one of the most relevant fights of his career because there's not too much in that fight that looks anything like crazy different than what he is now. I think, you know, things are more polished and physically he's a lot different, um, but the tools are basically all the same. And like the strengths and weaknesses are basically all the same. He pressures like a maniac in that fight. Uh, he doesn't break. It's a super hard fight. Stevens has tons of moments. Um, it, it's a very competitive fight. I recommend watching it. Um, so th- as early as then, I think you can address like, okay, Oliver doesn't just like instantly break every time he's in a tough fight. Um, I think he just has vulnerabilities and sometimes gets stuck and uh, pe- people keep hammering the vulnerabilities and they beat him. Like Paul Felder was beating him up and I think he rocked him pretty bad. <laughs> and then he just couldn't do anything about it. Um, which is to say something about Oliveira's guard. I feel that, that maybe transitionally, he's a much bigger submission threat off his back than statically off his back, which is true about most people, but it's just something important to point out. So I think he's certainly improved. I think he's improved over the past few years. And a lot of it is just growing into lightweight, getting used to being a lightweight permanently. Um, we talked about it last, last time we talked about him on the UFC 256 podcast, uh, the panel. Uh, he's, he's really thick. <laughs> he's really grown into his frame. He, he's put on a lot of size, which is awesome. That's good for his style. Um, but yeah, in this recent streak, uh, the Tony Ferguson fight is like weirdly not analogous to a lot of other matchups. Uh, because, okay, so you have Ferguson, who's typically a super heavy pressure fighter. Even in the Geishi fight, that was kind of gone. Um, before that, even, that <laughs> was kind of gone. Like the Cowboy fight, uh, you know, most of the Pettis fights. Like before, it was like nonstop, here I go. Um, he's had to pick his spots a lot more, uh, you know, conservatively as, as time's gone on. And in the Gaethje fight, I think as soon as the counter threat opened up, it became much more of a uh, mid-range kickboxing bout than someone like pre- who is super intent on pressuring, someone who's super intent on diffusing pressure. Uh, contrast that with the David Tamer fight, where Oliveira is barreling forward almost the whole time. I try to put Tamer on the cage, and uh, that's an interesting one. That's another interesting one to watch. If you're going to watch two uh, Oliveira fights before in his next potential matchup and you haven't seen them in a while. Jeremy Stevens from back at back when he was at featherweight, I believe. And more recently, David Tamer from 2019. Uh, Tamer does really good work off the back foot. He, he does a good job. All things considered uh, definitely panics <laughs> definitely falls apart over time. Can't keep that up for a long time. I think a, a really strong back foot performance is one of the hardest things to pull off in MMA, uh, which is what makes it even more impressive when people do it. Um, he was doing great work off the back foot. Oliveira looked very counterable. And I believe he walked him into a, a rear straight is how he dropped him. Um, so th- that was there. And Tamer is not like, Tamer is a good striker. He's not as good of a counter puncher as Dustin Poirier. He's not as good of a counter puncher as Justin Gaethje. So I'm going to keep that in mind. Um, you know, Dan mentioned, you know, what does it take off the back foot to be Charles Oliveira? And like, I think it takes David Tamer who doesn't, gas <laughs> that might be it but of course uh you know once his stance started to break once his posture started to break that really opened up Oliveira's game you can remember the Kevin Lee fight as well things were kind of competitive on the feet until Lee got tired and he was like standing still more often and he was leaning over more often and Oliveira is hanging on the head he's uppercutting him he's he's using a lot of linear weapons his game is so mean he does a lot of straight hitting to uh to make you tall 
And then when he gets in close, he pulls you down again and starts hitting you. And he's like pulling you down and hitting you when you're tall. When he lets you go, he's hitting you with straight weapons again. It's so nasty. It's so nasty. I really like it. Um, it's interesting because it's not like the stereotypical game, striking game you would prescribe to a grappler um, because you you want them <laughs> to, to be coming down back up so you can take them down that way and you want to be faking your own level changes. But really, he's just manipulating their levels uh, just to facilitate the striking. And then he does most of his wrestling work on the cage or like off a caught kick or a super hard entry on their part. Um, and that's, you know, if you're pressuring super hard, all the more reason for your opponent to come at you even harder, which opens up that opportunity. So I really like Charles Oliveira right now. I think he's like, I wanted to preface it with, I don't think he's that much different than he used to be even a few years ago. Um, but I like where he's at. I like how he's matching up with everybody. The Ferguson fight's really weird because Tony served up a lot of, a lot of those entries, a lot of those wrestling entries um, they were not difficult for Oliveira to get to. Um, <laughs> sure, I'm, we, we've all been typing in the chat the whole time, making each other laugh, which is something that started last time. I think it's tradition now. And the don't laugh challenge already failed. <laughs> but uh, I don't even know what I was talking about anymore. Um, but yeah, the Tony Ferguson fight, I think those entries are pretty easy for Oliveira and uh, not super indicative of what would happen in the future matchup. If you remember like Ben Cohen's video uh, before, Good job, Dan Albert. Dan Albert hasn't laughed. Good, good for you, man. Um, the uh, his, his breakdown on Charles Oliveira's reactive takedowns, everyone's talked about it before me so far. Definitely a thing. Um, so let's go to Justin Poirier. The big concern for everybody is his defensive ring craft. Uh, he won the Conor McGregor fight by taking the back foot, right? That worked out great for him. But Conor McGregor wasn't trying to take him down. And I talked about it on the podcast there's that, that TikTok guy that, that, that got made fun of. Everyone was making fun of him for uh, his third point on what, what like things Conor McGregor should have done differently. He's like, more takedowns. He needed more takedowns. I was talking to Sherman on the podcast. I'm like, you know what, though? If he had planned on doing it beforehand, on incorporating takedowns, he very easily could have transitioned to doubles in the cage off those clinch tie-ups where he had underhook and wrist and was, was shoulder bumping him tall. That's exactly how John Jones sets up his double on the cage right now. See, the funny thing is he could have, <laughs> he could have taken him down. Um, if, if, you know, if that was something he could do. Um, not really something that's been in his game for a long time, but Conor McGregor did used to wrestle in fights. Very funny, very funny to me that the guy was accidentally right. That's how dumb he was that he actually arrived at a good point. Um, <laughs> but uh, Dustin Poirier took the back foot against uh, Conor McGregor and he didn't have to do that really against Dan Hooker. That was, they were all over the cage in that fight because they were both sloppy messes. Uh, but the Khabib fight, you know, infamously, he took the back foot in that one and it was a terrible idea and it did not work for him. Uh, why is taking the back foot a back, bad idea against a pressure grappler? Because they need you to be about this far away from the cage to shoot you onto it. It's not hard to drive someone backward a little bit off, off a good shot. Even if you grab underhooks, they're going to get you on the cage. And if that's where the guy is good, then you're screwed. So don't put yourself there. Don't go there voluntarily. Like at least, at least, you know, do try to do something about it. But you know, Khabib does things to people. Justin Gaethje did it too. Um, and, and they try to sit, sit and wait for him to come and encounter him. Like that's so low percentage. That's a very, very risky. You have to be like perfect to make that work. Like I said before, a good back foot performance in MMA is so hard um, because you know the cage is just a huge advantage. Like with your back on the cage, you are at a disadvantage if the person wants to grapple with you. Um, so if Dustin Poirier is gonna do that against Charles Oliveira, it's terrifying 
because Oliveira has freaky long arms and is very strong and has a great double against the cage. And if he doesn't get it, he can come up to a body lock and he's good on the body lock against the cage too. Um, he's good there and he's very strong early. So if Dustin Poirier very early is putting himself in that position where Oliveira can get off the shot that he wants, which is what he did against Ferguson as well. Um, then you have him on his back early in the fight, probably looking to scramble and get up, which is what he did against Khabib. Um, like think about why things built so quickly uh, for Khabib against Dustin Poirier and, and ended the way they did uh, versus what happened in like the Conor McGregor fight. A lot of people say Conor McGregor had a better performance than other people. He held close guard. Um, it's not as easy to advance your offense and accelerate your, your win condition when someone's holding close guard. Whereas Dustin Poirier was not attempting to lock down the position. He's trying to put his back on the cage and get up over and over and over again. He tried to get up. I would assume he would do that against Charles Oliveira as well, considering that in his last win, he won by holding the guy down for three rounds. Uh, you don't want that to be you. Uh, Poirier needs to press his advantage of cardio and all the other things he has on the feet. He needs it to be on the feet as long as possible. I would expect him to be trying to get up. He did a pretty good job getting up against Khabib. He made a lot of mistakes otherwise, but you know, getting out of those dominant positions and getting back to his feet albeit being returned over and over again, he was doing a good job you know, making the transitions. Um, however, Charles Oliveira in those same positions will take your back. Um, and that's a bad place to be. So experience with Dustin Poirier being grappled, not much, not much against like pressure grapplers. Uh, Eddie Alvarez took him down a bunch of times. He kept jumping the guillotine. Uh, but really, I think back to the Anthony Pettis fight, I believe uh, did Pettis lose the fight by trying to get out of the back position. He had yeah. a body triangle on. He tried to turn into it. So there was grappling in that fight. I don't remember what happened. But really, if you think about it, for Dustin Poirier, the pressure grapplers he's fought are, in, in recent memory, are Habib. And way back, way back, 2015, Carlos Diego Fajaya. Very little data about Dustin Poirier versus pressure grapplers. And the one time we saw it, it was against the best pressure grappler in MMA history, probably, but it was a bad look. So I think just as, as a, a rule of being fair and using your head, uh, if, you, if you haven't seen someone deal with something well before, you can't pick against it. Um, I think there's a ton of ways that Dustin Poirier could win that fight if he was smarter. If he pressured, I would love that. I would love if he tried to put Charles Oliver on the back foot or hold center at the very least, because his striking isn't clean enough to... You know, he's he's going to need to exchange. He's going to need to get in, you know, get hits in to get Dustin Poirier back if he doesn't give it to him. Uh, whereas Khabib has this thing where he has this huge threat, especially with like the open space shots. People worry about that, where he doesn't need to do as much to put you back. It's just the threat of him moving forward. You're like, he's close to me. I got to go. Whereas Oliveira is kind of there for a little bit. It's not an instant, oh my God, I'm being grappled. So I think there's a lot more room than in the Khabib fight. And if it's a big cage, that works even better. And I'm starting to trust ATT game planning again because of the McGregor fight. Um, and maybe they've learned their lesson from the Khabib fight. So it's, it's not a death sentence. I'm not, I'm not writing them off, but just preliminarily, I'm, I would pick Oliveira in that one as well. Uh, same exact topic. Dustin Poirier versus pressure grappler is uh, Poirier versus Michael Chandler, right? It's basically the same question. <laughs> How is his ring craft going to be? Um, and here's someone that I know is going to pressure even harder. On the other hand, it's somebody whose 
striking entries leave him more vulnerable than Oliveira's. But it's also someone who can really do bad things to you if you let him get off those entries and you're not ready. Um, Conor McGregor caught him cold a little bit in the beginning. Uh, he didn't quite have his defensive reactions down and he got, he got hit uh, straight. He didn't have the distance quite yet. Uh, that's something to worry about. Uh, someone working his body a little more, uh, Max Holloway, basically had free body shots in their fight. That might be an exaggeration, but he hit him a lot in the body. It's Max Holloway. So it's not the same as Michael Chandler, but I'm just saying that Chandler's striking weapons, at least early, will probably be there a little bit. Um, so again, how much space is he giving up? How is he trying to avoid being put on the cage and grappled? Because I would actually be even more worried about a cage wrestling situation in the first round with Chandler and Poye than I would be with Chandler and Oliveira. Uh, Oliveira's become much more patient and you know doesn't immediately try to jump on submissions anymore Chandler kind of does um, so if he's in a front headlock situation he's jumping on his guillotine which Dan Tom said you don't have to worry about that as much because Dustin's good at guillotine so you assume he has the conceptual understanding uh, but if you remember like the Alvarez fights both of them or a bunch of others fights if he has an angle on your back he puts hooks in he's really nasty with getting opening up the chin and getting under your neck um, in like a very similar situation to how Khabib Poye ended. Um, so again, it's not super fair to Dustin to compare these two guys to Khabib, but it's the only time we've seen him fight a similar style matchup. So that's all we have to go off of. Um, so it's really you know, mysterious. <laughs> it's a very scary matchup. Uh, but yeah, with Chandler, I think if he can get to those wrestling situations pretty early, it's rough. It's really rough. It's a small cage, it's way rougher. Um, but that's someone that I know is going to be committed to pushing him back and get into those situations. Um, I think more, more, more vulnerable to counters, less durable or comparably as durable as Oliveira. But, you know, his durability is trending in a different direction than Oliveira's is, I think that's fair to say. Um, so I think that one's more winnable for Poirier. But I would have the same concerns, uh, sim- similar questions. Um, and, yeah, I think I might be even more confident about a Poirier getting up situation, putting him in danger just because all uh, Chandler, no matter how, what the position is, if he has an angle on your back, uh, he's probably going to look to either, you know, double off and put you down again. Or if you got your back away from the cage, huge mat returns, massive mat returns, either traditional, you know, hip under your hips, lift, put you down mat returns or like a rear standing back arch like he hit on Benson Henderson. Uh, those are positions where you're going to try to get up and you're going to have all this space open to put the hooks in and get on your back. So early, early danger in that one. I think if he can deal with that dynamic early on, it would work out for Poye. Uh, Cause you know, Chandler's efficacy does just fade a little bit over fights. He's still, he's still in there, but uh, whatever advantage he has is not as pronounced as it would be in the first round. Uh, I would say similar dynamic with Oliveira, but it's not as much of a ticking time bomb. It's like, Oh my God, this is immediate danger. <laughs> this is so scary. Um, which is, I think a little bit of what Dan Hooker felt. So Similar matchups, I think the dangers are a little less pronounced in some ways in each matchup. I have the same questions about Poirier, so for me, it's just about what Poirier does in both fights. So I'm just going to go ahead and pick Dustin Poirier over Michael Chandler. But on my podcast, I I went to that one in a little more depth. I would say of the matchups with all the top four, that's the one that I'm the most confident in Chandler winning is Dustin Poirier just because of the ring craft and some of the wrestling issues. And uh, Sriram, how about you and uh, Poirier Chandler? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have nearly as many takes about Chandler. I, for the last fight, I just deferred to uh, deferred to Ed on picking Chandler over Hooker. So um, I think 
looking at Chandler's first fight, there's an there's a clear opening in terms of Poirier. If you look at uh, Eddie Alvarez, Poirier too, Eddie Alvarez had a lot of success entering to the body to get into combinations on Poirier's head. And that's one thing that we've seen Chandler do um, in terms of, I think Poirier's guard is, a, is very well adapted for headshots. He's able to adjust it on the fly. And it's generally quite tough to crack as Dan uh, Albert pointed out uh, earlier. But when it comes to body shots, you mentioned Max Holloway getting a ton for free, both kicks and punches, and Eddie Alvarez entering on body shots and getting up to the head. Now, that also serves to uh, get a takedown entry for Michael Chandler, as Ed has pointed out in one of his earlier articles. Um, the right hand to the body sets up the level change to the hips, which is, I mean, Poirier isn't even particularly good at dealing with, like, unset up level changes. Uh, so if Chandler gets a clean bite, he's probably going to get Poirier down relatively easy if Poirier doesn't take himself down with the guillotine. Uh, so... I think if I end up picking Poirier, it's mostly on presumption of not knowing a ton about Michael Chandler, what he does. Uh, and since Ed picked Poirier over Chandler, it'd just be me deferring to that again. But I do think Chandler's a pretty troubling matchup for him. And given that we know that Chandler isn't the kind to just completely fall apart over five rounds, it's not a fight that's necessarily going to get easy over the distance, just one that's going to get less like you're going to die in any given second, the way that it is in round one. Um yeah, I mean, I guess I'll go with Poirier and like durability and figuring the fight out late, but I'm not really sure about this one. This is probably one that I probably shouldn't even be talking about, to be honest. Uh, so whoever's next, go ahead. You can talk about anything you want, buddy. And you mentioned stuff that I forgot to talk about, like, but I've talked about it before and you're still stealing my homework, but <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> it's a joke, YouTube commenters, it's a joke. Um, but yeah, you're good. You're good, man. Dan Tom, what's up? Yeah, this is another interesting one where um, I kind of feel similar in the sense of like the last one versus small cage versus big cage. And I feel like I kind of started stamping really hard for Poirier toward the end. But when I first was thinking about this um, last night and earlier today, uh, and I think this will come clear as we uh, finish through the panel here and the matchups. But, um, you know, I, I, Chandler, uh, kind of like Oliveira, um, I'd like both their chances obviously more in a small cage, like the uh, points Ed was making about the cage to your back and having to be on the back foot against a pressuring grappler. It's just bad. So the small cage will lend to that. And obviously the bigger cage will lend to Poirier in both those matches, including the one we're talking about, which is Chandler. Um, however, and again, there's a lot of bias here, which I got to state, uh, not just the right to reserve pick, but also bias for what I am presenting. Um, uh, toward Chandler here, but uh, I think he's a bad matchup, and I think he is going to see the Khabib comparison, whether it's fair or not. Like, like uh, Ed was saying, it's all we have to go from. And as crude as it could be to just base it off that, it's exactly what a fighter is going to do, especially one with a comparable skill set. Um, and you know, I, I think that, and again, stealing off of Ed here, talking about his uh, anti wrestling game and whatnot, and those shot selections. We were, even though you know, a lot of us picked Chandler, it's not like we weren't worried about those knees and uppercuts and things like that. And Poirier can, you know, uppercut around a guard and whatnot, but he's not like a, a knee guy. Um, he will throw front kicks, but he's not, you know, he doesn't even throw those as much as, you know, uh, Oliveira does, um, you know, and which would, Oliveira will do a lot against Southpaws or the Southpaw he just faced in McGregor, right? He, he McGregor's kind of, I'm not maybe to us, but just kind of an underrated uh, teep presence, maybe, you know, more matches than others. Um, but Poirier doesn't have, you know, a, a, a lot of those. Uh, is much more boxing first, you know, as, as we've seen and noted. 
through his progression. So I, I don't see those, you know, being there for Chandler. So as far as him having riskier entries, I don't think it's as much of a problem. And I think he can find his way um, into this takedown shots. I think that Oliveira has really underrated um, wrestling. And I don't know if it's the reason why Ed says to go watch the Jeremy Stevens fight, but I think I said it on your guys' panel. Like, if you look right around there, that's where he clearly improves his wrestling. Like, I even went back to watch, when I was watching back that Southpaw matchup against Brookens. Like, um, he's doing really bad. And I'm not one to talk. I'm sure Ed can speak more about like checking your wristwatch as far as which side you're gripping, but it looks ass backwards the way Oliveira is like jumping into his takedowns and body lock. Like, it's clearly not developed like it's odd his striking game actually is pretty the same when you go back and look at it but it's his wrestling um that has developed and i know i'm talking about Oliveira in a chandler versus poyer matchup but i still feel like uh chandler for as much as Oliveira's improve i think chandler has the more options uh duck unders mat returns i mean chandler tries to impregnate dudes when he's giving them the mat return like you know, you gotta you gotta take a test afterwards after after he finishes those. And and again, you know, he's he's not afraid to put the hooks in. But more importantly, and this could be dangerous again if he doesn't finish. Um, Poirier, Poirier can start to pull away and adjust, which I know kind of seems to be my default pathway for Poirier in this analysis table. But something we forget is that Chandler's ground and pound is stupid ridiculous. Like you look at that second Alvarez fight. And it was like, why, why aren't you just taking him down the whole time instead of like marching in punches with your hands down first? You know, why don't you just take him down and ground and pound him that whole fight? Like it was some of the sickest ground and pound. Like I think he was grabbing Eddie by the neck at one point and just smashing his face. And um, I think that he could really um, put a damper on, on some of Dustin's confidence, even if he can just get around to that. And uh, so I would take Chandler uh, in both, but his chances definitely better if that fight gets made in the apex making me feel like a, like a traitor to the, to the Chandler hype train. But yeah, I, I think it's definitely there. It's definitely there. I just felt bad picking against Poirier in both the grappler matchups. Like we're just, we just automatically assume he's going to lose to all the grapplers. Um, but yeah, I like, I like all of your points. They're all good points. All right, Dan Albert. So you're going to talk about uh, Poirier versus Chandler as well. And then I'm going to introduce another fight for you to talk about after that. Um, okay, so Poirier Chandler, or Ed, you already talked about a lot of my issues with Chandler on the feet. I'm going to go into more depth with them. So I think Chandler pressures really, really hard. I think that part's a given because he basically has, I'm a go 120 miles per hour, the endless Chandler freight train that never ends kind of thing. Choo choo. Um, anyways, and normally, that's kind of enough to just overwhelm guys because he's basically secretly a cheater with stupid and raw strength and whatnot. It's ridiculous. Um, so I think the asterisks with Chandler, though, with his pressure, with his game and his standup is that a lot of it is very single minded at the moment, or at least it kind of always has been. Because the one thing I thought when I was rewatching a bunch of Chandler tape and I think I talked to Ed about this was I, I constantly watch Chandler do things and it's like why don't you look for that thing there or as opposed to what you're doing because often what you'll do what Chandler does is he has a good idea of how to like set up body shots to set up headshots most famously murdering good old Dan Hooker with it but he also like sets things up up between those and he 
but he only focuses upon those single-mindedly. It's not like it's not like he kind of like suddenly like mixes up like, oh, I'm gonna go for a level change now just to push you as you're already there and maybe enforce that kind of takedown game. Instead, I'm just gonna keep like like striking with you. And so I constantly think like his decision making kind of leaves some things to be desired. I don't know what his prep is like, which makes some of these matchups kind of interesting. And it's already been talked about because, oh, I see the Khabib fight. I'm going to go for this. But a lot of people forget part of the reason Khabib had success was like he was mostly messing with Poirier's guard a lot. He was also constantly putting in rapid level changes. And Chandler doesn't necessarily like do that as much. Chandler's just like, I'm going to throw this now. Body, head, body, head. Um, and but he's throwing it really, really fast. And so that in that regard, he can kind of catch a lot of people off guard because for all intents and purposes, he's what 34 now and he's still stupidly fast. But the other big problem with Chandler is like when I say like single focus, it's also comes in the form of his striking because and this is kind of the pattern I have with Dustin over everyone else in terms of like on the feet is that most of what Chandler does is like single strikes, like one or two at a time. One thing he used to do a lot was he would sometimes mix in like kicks in between to get those punches, to get inside on opponents such as Alvarez and their rematch a bit against uh, Henderson in their first fight. But I, I, I noted that he doesn't necessarily do that anymore. Don't really know why, but mix-ups aren't really his thing is what I've noticed. And the other issue is that his pressure itself kind of tends to be really linear. Like everyone I think can notice this, but his, his cutting the cage on Dan Hooker isn't really particularly great. And part of the knockout does come from the mix-ups of the body plus just the fact that Dan Hooker's lateral movement is, well, bad. So the question for me is, okay, Poirier starts sidestepping a bunch. Poirier starts getting that lead hand going. Chandler doesn't really mix in any takedowns if Poirier can seize that back foot. How successful is Chandler going to be to get that fight to the ground? I don't know. And there's also the question of durability. And as Ed knows, because I've said this to him in our DMs before, I don't buy Chandler being even half as durable as he used to be. So although the interesting part of these matchups actually with Chandler coming in is that it makes it kind of an opportune time for him to like get this crown or like potentially win the championship. It's, it's also not the best, best version of him that could do that. Cause if I was talking about the Michael Chandler, who I know can take a shot a couple of years ago. Oh, and doesn't clearly get as discouraged. I, 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 kind of struggle a bit to like see this one that's getting cracked and kind of stunned by like Brent Primus knocked out by Pitbull. Well, even though I like Pitbull. Um, and then there's also the problem of, I noticed how much Ben Henderson had given him in terms of like the pace of that fight as it went on, but also in terms of like how Henderson was also putting together combinations later in that fight, right? hand fighting Chandler's lead hand a bunch. And just not conceding space as much. So uh, those are kind of the asterisks with Chandler, though. But uh, once again, I I don't I don't know what kind of the ground situation looks like. I don't think anyone does. 
but just for all the issues I see Chandler having on the feet, it's hard for me to not just see him getting clocked or at least kind of figured out or frustrated at some point a bit. Um, so yeah, I'd pick Poirier over Chandler. Sounds good. I knew you would. I knew you would. We talked about a lot of these beforehand but together. Um, yeah, I think uh, just to summarize, you know, a little bit, the point about Chandler's pressure being linear is definitely true. It's when they hit the cage is when you see a lot of his good ring craft and cage cutting coming up. Is like you said, the round kicks are great for cutting off exits. The hooks are great for cutting off exits. It's that's like it's there once they're in the range, but it's not always easy for him to get from center of cage to the cage, um, you know, without his opponent just being scared of him. Um, this is when he's able to set up open open space work more, but that's it would be very dangerous against Poirier. Um, so yeah, that's that's why the distinction of what is Dustin going to do, I think, for all of us, is so important because it really really impacts the matchup. You know how how he decides to approach it, um, which seems to be a very common theme with how how do you deal with a pressure grappler? Um, Gaethje Khabib, Poirier Khabib, these fights. Um, yeah, another stupid point I just wanted to throw out there about a matchup we already finished talking about was uh, I was my mind was drifting off about a uh, Poirier Oliveira again. And I remembered the Joe Duffy fight and uh, I remembered other fights where uh, Dustin Poirier, because I think about Felder, I'm like, cool, could Poirier do that? I'm like, well, if he pressured Oliveira to the cage, if he got offensive position on the cage, could he double Charles Oliveira and put him on his back and work him from his guard? And I remembered he said himself, I don't get tired and I don't get triangled. So it's possible <laughs> that Dustin Poirier could... Uh, take down Charles Oliveira for five rounds and grind him out to a decision uh, just because he's he's actually pretty good in the card. That's not my actual pick. I just, you know, like me saying that Conor McGregor could have taken down Poirier, just a stupid thought I had that I wanted to throw out there. And uh, speaking of other other stupid thoughts that, because we're at the back at the midway point here, just stupid thoughts that people forgot. Uh, Dan, Albert, you, you had something you forgot about? Uh, yeah, another thing regarding Poirier Oliveira, just to jump back a bit, because I was totally cheating and watching Tamor uh, Oliveira at midpoints <laughs> during this whole chat while listening. Uh, Tamor had success hand fighting Poirier. Uh, no, wait, Oliveira. Oliveira. God, yeah. I'm going to go throw myself off a cliff. <laughs> Tamor had success hand fighting Oliveira. That's what I heard. You got it. Yeah. Before we jump into the next matchup, Dan, Tom, and Shiram, did you have any like new points that you thought of during all that you thought were worth sharing? Because I got a chance to do it, so it's only fair. Uh, I'll just add on to the, uh, uh, the the match you referenced earlier. Which was that? The Oliveira. I know we're on Oliveira Poirier now, right? We keep we can't like not talk about that. Um, but I like that point about the Joe Duffy. I was gonna say like I remember that, and it's funny because he, it's funny he said that one. It, I, I don't know, like. I, it's, it's it's no narcissistic to think this way, but like I've only thought of it twice. Once with like both with breakdowns before they were on flow or junkie, so like definitely nobody was reading them then, right? But Justin Gaethje looked like he wanted to kill me after <laughs> I picked Michael Johnson to beat him, and thankfully that was only on my Rinky Dink website. So I'm like, how the hell did this guy see it? But he just looked at me like he wanted to kill me the whole time he was in studio, and I'm like, I would purposely move off to the right, and then his <laughs> eyes would just follow me, and I'm like, fuck, he's looking at me. And this other time we had it, which was Dustin Poirier, and I actually picked Joe Duffy to win that fight. I know, throw throw rocks at me. 
And I don't know if I picked him to win by submission, but I, I might have actually picked him to win by triangle because I remember him saying that in the post fight. And even um, he was saying it with the same vigor and attitude. He came into Junkie Radio Monday morning after because that fight was in Vegas, right? And he was like, I don't get triangle. And like he was saying it like he was like trying to say it to like someone on staff. And I'm like, and I wasn't working with Junkie at the time, but I would go on the, the radio show and I'm like, holy crap, did he read my Brizzy Pissed or something? Because if you look at it, like from the Chance Sung Jung fights, all these fights, like, Dustin Poirier, he actually gets caught in triangles all the time, all the time. Um, and some of them, like, he almost got finished if it wasn't for the bell. So going into that fight, I was like, dude, Duffy's, like, still showing that he's, like, setting up, like, triangles on black Eric belts. Eric Koch had him out. in a triangle. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I think Duffy might get him here. And then uh, and he, it's almost like he I wasn't the only one with that take or something. And, and, and he was just, I don't get a triangle. And I'm like, all right, dude. All right. Sorry. So I thought that, that. Sorry. Random. <laughs> That's great. Jerome, do you have anything you, you've been thinking about? Uh, no, I was on this triangle discussion. I remember uh, when Poirier Pettis, I believe, when Pettis got like a bunch of triangle entries and right as he got one that was like relatively deep, the referee stood them up to wipe the blood off his face. <laughs> so that kind of made me sad for Pettis. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really have any, nothing changed in terms of like the actual pick. Um, I think Poirier is like a weirdly reliable fighter to default to in the absence of other things. And that, you know, you're generally going to trust him to stay there for the entire five rounds more than other fighters. And you're going to trust him to probably take over in terms of attrition. So, yeah, I mean, any pick I make against Poirier is kind of a suspect. Yeah, I feel you. All of this extra discussion has only made me more confident in Dustin Poirier grounding out Oliveira, being becoming the offensive grappler, the thing that beat him. It's like he, he has absorbed his powers. Um, and, you know, he'll, he'll bait Oliveira into thinking he can submit him off his back because he's going to get a lot of triangle attempts. He's not going to finish him. He's going to gas his legs out. That's how it's going to happen. Just kidding. But, no, it's funny. We were all, we were all thinking about it. Um, all right. So, <laughs> next matchup. Dan Albert's like, I wasn't thinking about triangles. Come on. Um, next matchup might involve triangles uh, because it is Justin Gaethje versus Charles Oliveira. And uh, Justin Gaethje did lose his last fight via triangle so Dan Halbert how do you feel about Justin Gaethje versus Charles Oliveira um on paper I think this is probably the one matchup of the division that I have weird questions about and I think like ideally the winner of this probably would be the number one guy I have no idea though um so I I do think there are some misconceptions about kind of like Gaethje's ground game that kind of are let are still kind of open-ended questions. Cause it's like, you got to remember he was on the ground with Khabib Nurmagomedov who is basically like the equivalent of some master chief powered person. And it can just be like, yeah, you ain't getting up buddy. Um, and to Gaethje's credit, he consistently like tried to make adjustments on the feet. Aiden's article does a great job specifying those. Those, um, but the the other thing is ultimately Khabib ultimately picked up on patterns that Gaethje was doing to ultimately get that last takedown, and was like, "Hey, surprise! Late kick is not overpowered against me." You know, that's that's cool. And Gaethje's like, "Well, shit." Um, anyways, I don't. I I think the question with Oliveira Gaethje is 
can Oliveira effectively pressure Gaethje if Gaethje goes on the back foot? Um, and I, I've already like given my concerns with like Oliveira's like potential issues with cage cutting, and I'm not exactly sure like tying up with Gaethje is necessarily going to entirely go his way because. For all intents and purposes, I think Gaethje is like low-key super freaking strong if you watch his fights. And he's very willing to use the clinch to like specifically off the single collar tie to just uppercut your skull through. And I think we all forget a sign of his strength is him like literally like grabbing Palomino up by his neck and then snapping him down, which is like one of those moments where you just think, huh, that happened. I, I feel like, though, Oliveira's, like, kicking game can probably get him into that fight quite a bit. But I, I think about also parallels with Tony. And although I think Oliveira's a way more comfortable, like, pocket fighter than Tony is, um, Oliveira being hittable, especially by counters, and often, like, Gaethje figured out ways to, like, nullify Tony's kicking game, even when Tony tried to mix it up, kind of makes it a tad bit hard for me to see Oliveira having that much success on the feet against him. Plus like you have to have answers to those kicks that Gaethje's going to throw. Like either you have to outmaneuver him if he's on the backwards foot, or if he's on the front foot, you have to find ways to push him back and work around that guard. And I know Oliveira likes to work in the clinch a lot. I know Gaethje can work in the clinch. That's kind of a scary proposition. I don't know what that looks like but it would be a very interesting kind of thing to find out. Um, body locks, I think Oliveira can maybe get that going. That's kind of just dependent upon where it is. Cause I know Gaethje likes to, I'm going to butcher this. I, Cause I know like when Alvarez tried to take him down, it was, I think butterfly guarding, like getting him off. I don't remember. Or um, So I, I feel like with this for me, it's just when, when it, comes to um Gaethje so to speak Ed that it's not funny try again um the thing with Gaethje for me is kind of like and I'm going to quote what Haxerized once said to me is like the thing is guys have to ultimately realize okay I'm walking into fire with you and I think Charles Oliveira is willing to walk into the fire and I think he definitely has composure to like stay there especially if he's getting moments nowadays um and knows how to push his successes but i i do worry that like beating gage in a straight-up firefight or like trying to out position him is far harder than it looks on the feet um and i i don't know what the wrestling equation looks like but i think it'll come down to something kind of simple if like Hey, Charles, are you strong enough to wrestle like the dense freak of the division? You know, um, I, I, I would take Gaethje in there, but to be honest, I, I have a hard time seeing many avenues for Oliveira for this. I can like picture a lot of successes, but until I see them, I kind of don't believe it personally. That's just how I am, but I don't know Oliveira that well, to be honest. Like this uh, uh, matchup and picking up uh, one of the things that that Dan said, which I agree with, which was um, as far as like 
regardless of who you pick, like don't be discounting, you know, Oliveira to stay in the fire. Uh, I know Dan just recently said he, he rewatched that team war fight. And I think in that fight, you see too, his comfortability with um, Southpaws or even guys that can shift because Timor will shift a little bit. He does a bit in that fight, whether he means to or not, obviously Gaethje has incorporated more at least shifting into quick counters and then he'll reset his position more um, in his latter years, right. Or latter appearances. Uh, and we've seen Oliveira do that kind of unfair John Jones thing where he's so long, even at lightweight where he's actually like, you know, he'll hook with guys and come out on the top and he's actually using his elbow while the other guy's using a punch and he's still connecting more cleaner. Um, and I think you see that um, happen in, ironically, in the Southpaw fights, Oliveira and Brookins, uh, and because he, he, he's, he, he's kicking a lot less. And even though he's kicking a lot less in the Southpaw fight, which again, I know Gaethje is not a Southpaw, uh, what he does consistently do, speaking back to the striking consistency that Oliveira quietly carries through his career is he does his, all right, Ryan Wagner, if your ears are witching, time march variations, uh, and not that that he still wouldn't eat some, you know, light kicks from Gaethje along the way. I just feel like it's such a big key for Gaethje, especially even against pressure grapplers. We saw them in the corner with Trevor Whitman. I just rewatched that fight against Khabib and they're calling for the Hail Mary, right? You know, they're, they're, they're not disillusioning him. He's like, you just keep moving on the feet. Don't worry. That battle's going to go the way it goes. But if you get him with eight more leg kicks, he's not going to be able to walk. Like that was clearly their plan and it became their plan very quickly after the first round uh to where it's you know knockout punch which obviously is the hail mary for everybody pervert you know uh, hypothetically uh or more specifically those hard leg kicks and of the four guys we're talking about i believe that Oliver and Gaethje, the matchup we're talking about now these are the two guys who are most dependent on my hypothetical of the cage whether or not you want to give that credence i believe these guys are most most dependent on it Gaethje, obviously the open cage, the bigger cage benefits him more than anyone else than any other matchup, arguably stylistically of this group. Whereas a smaller cage benefits Oliveira more than anybody else, arguably in this group. So I believe it's kind of clear if you wanted to like, kind of let like where the setting kind of happens of this matchup, decide who you're going to pick. Um, however, not only do I favor Oliveira in the small cage against Gaethje, I even favor him in the big cage because when I went back to watch the Khabib fight in the big cage, um, and even for those of us who, you know, were right on the pick, I picked Khabib, but I still felt wrong because I had similar analysis as to Ed as far as Khabib's open shot abilities, and he proved us wrong. And on the second one in the second round, he even turns the corner beautifully to his back mount, mount, mountain game, right? Um, and it all comes full circle from early career Khabib. Now, when I went back to watch that, it's still the whole fight and everything's impressive. I even get emotional at the end, like it's a great fight and all that. However, I, I was a bit underwhelmed at the, the, the both the takedowns that he was able to score on Gaethje. Uh, the first one, it almost looks like Gaethje kind of falls down and he's kind of shuffling and skirting out of position. But he actually pauses and, and throws a strike. And of course, Khabib level changes under. But the way he gives and he kind of just goes back into um, and I'm not going to you know critique the defense. Ed can speak to it more. I don't even know the name of it. You know, it's more of a college wrestling defense where you're kind of seeing him grab under the waist and kind of trying to bridge him over after they're already in and penetrated on their shot. And he's kind of going into that mode, which he's clearly going to lose the wrestling and scrambling mode. Like, you know, he does have a hard line first, uh, first wire of defense. You know, he's hard line to sprawl. He does fight very well from the clinch. Like Dan said, it should not be over uh, overlooked um, as far as Gaethje in the clinch. I just feel like it gets him in a lot of trouble because I just went back to watch more relevant 
uh, shots of Charles Oliveira compared to the shot that Khabib himself gets. And I'm more impressed with Charles's shots in the open reactionary on his back foot coming forward. Um, and obviously it's Khabib and he masterfully finishes it. So you can't really critique that. But the point is, if he's able to hit that on Justin and Justin knew that was the one thing you really got to fortify around this whole matchup. And he already had all that wrestling and all these other glimpses that, you know, a lot of us were pointing to whether we were picking Justin or not. And he still got his hips uh, given away with that kind of a pressure. And it was a good pressure, but it, it wasn't any more Frankenstein or any less Frankenstein uh, than it is Oliveira's or Oliveira's is to Khabib's, right? It's not some silky smooth shifting pressure like a Poirier in comparison to the linear Chandler. Like, no, these guys are kind of similar if we're going to use the, the broad brush of a Frankenstein, which is, I know kind of offensive because I like both fighters. They're both great fighters. But the point is, um, I, was, I'll, I will pick Oliveira um, no matter where this fight happens. I, I just feel like Gaethje really would, would, would need the big cage more than anybody. Yeah, I think the tricky thing with Gaethje Oliveira is gauging how much of Gaethje's difficulty was Khabib's legend generally and how much is just how he deal with like a linear or not a linear, a pressure grappler who's someone who's trying to take him down against the fence. Because there aren't that many at lightweight, which is one thing that I think we've brought up in terms of Khabib's bad matchups before is that there aren't a lot of guys who fight like him, who guys are able to like kind of get a practice run in, in a sense. And Charles Oliveira isn't too far from it. And I think it's an interesting test because Gaethje fought, even compared to the Tony Ferguson fight and the Cerrone fight where he was fighting on the back foot, against Khabib, he was really, really animated in a way that I didn't like seeing because he was like squaring up, circling these massive arcs, um, just trying to get away from the fence at any turn, just as inefficiently as like possibly could. Where against Tony Ferguson, he was like hitting these little pivots and sidesteps and exchanges. Against Khabib, he just didn't want to be in exchanges. And I'm wondering whether that's something that will carry over to a Charles Oliveira fight um, in that if Charles Oliveira starts trying to get into exchanges with Gaethje, Gaethje's going to be like, okay, this is my fight. I'm going to fight him like I did Tony Ferguson or, oh no, this is kind of my fight, but it's just going to lead into a fight that I really hate being in. Um, Gaethje did not look good off his back against Khabib, but I can kind of forgive that for a couple reasons. One, it's Khabib, who's just independently one of the best top players in the history of the sport. And secondly, if Gaethje's training were, I'm going to fight from the bottom against Khabib, I'd think way less of him. If you look at how he dealt with the early takedown entries of Khabib, he dealt fairly well. Uh, he was able to um, escape the clinch and fight grips pretty decently early. It was just those couple takedown entries when he was, uh, the first one when he was like squared up and trying to circle away, which was really ugly from Khabib, but it worked because he was able to make him break a stance and catch him against the fence there. But I think if Gaethje fights like himself, this is a pretty tricky fight for Charles Oliveira. Um, even Khabib had to walk through a ton of pretty big counters to get Gaethje to the fence. Um, like, yes, Gaethje wasn't being the most efficient fighter and he wasn't being all that I think he could be, but it was also a fight where Khabib needed to show a lot of durability, where he was walking into these big uppercut left hook combinations and the leg kicks. I think eventually Charles, like, this isn't to say Charles Oliveira is not good or even particularly durable. It's just a, a kind of durability that I don't really think I've seen from like many fighters before where they just get hit really, really hard for doing something. And Khabib's like, okay, fuck you. I'm going to keep doing this over and over and over and over and over. Like it was a smart game plan, but it's not something that I expect someone to do against a, a counter puncher as massive consistently. Uh, I think 
I'm going to go with Justin Gaethje here, just trusting that he fell for just Khabib's reputation. And it's a reputation that's like very well, like, unlike Charles Oliveira, Khabib deserves that reputation like 100%, 1000%. Like, Charles Oliveira is a fighter who you can beat, and Gaethje's seen that before. Where against Khabib, it's no one's really come up with a winning game plan for him. So Gaethje's like, I'm going to go on the back foot and try to fight like an anti wrestler. I'm hoping he doesn't fall into that trap with Charles Oliver. It's winnable for Charles Oliver if he gets it on the ground, but I think he has a bit too much trouble enforcing pressure on Justin Gaethje, regardless of how he fights. Again, this is another fight where I prefer uh, pressure Gaethje, the one who push Oliver back and not really concede um, cage wrestling scenarios whatsoever. But even counterpunchy backfoot Gaethje probably backs Oliver off at some point and starts feasting. In general, <laughs> against pressure grapplers. I would want to see guys like 99% of the time turn the tables and become the pressure and put them on the back foot. And basically the only people that can get away with not doing that is like Aldo. (laughs) Just having God tier takedown defense in general, in any situation and being like near impossible to put out of position in in the first place. Uh, It's like, first of all, it's very hard to pressure them. And if you're trying to wrestle them, good luck. Um, With regard to Gaethje as a guy who matches up against wrestlers, yeah, I was, I was feeling, I was feeling the, the wave. I was feeling like something might happen there with, with him and Khabib because uh, that Luis Firmino fight is the Gaethje as an MMA wrestler in a nutshell fight. It's a World Series of Fighting. Um, it's a very interesting fight because it's definitely before Gaethje started to figure out how his striking could be less disgusting and still work well and still he could still be himself. Um, like I think the height of Gaethje as violence idiot is like the Alvarez fight probably you know, when he came back or like he, he started to fix things up like all through like by the Michael Johnson fight the real thing that changed is probably he got his eyes fixed he was fighting near blind uh, in a bunch of those fights like the majority of his early career in World Series of Fighting this is a fight where he's blind um, not only is he blind his high guard is much worse it's very basic and static and a lot of the time, he's doing this. He's putting his, his forearms in front of his face. So not only is his eyesight terrible, he is covering his eyes. Uh, <laughs> literally, literally covering them. So the conclusions I drew from that fight is that even when Justin Gaethje is covering his eyes and his stance is broken and he's blind, Luis Firmino, who's a very athletic guy and like a pretty solid wrestler, I'd say, from that fight, um, could not get through his hips. The guy has cement hips. They're crazy. Um, just crazy reactions of, of hipping straight back, getting a whizzer and, and shucking people off. And you even saw it in the Khabib fight. When when Khabib started, tried, tried to get to the legs and started to get to him, he, you, you saw right then that he could he could hang with him in, in upper body ties. He could, his hips were strong. Um, when it wasn't like he had to wrestle through the situation, it was more shallow. Like you said, first layer, he holds up. Even if he's out of position, he holds up. Not true against the cage, <laughs> but in open space, um, he's just got that great feel. He, he just has his competency and athleticism. The attributes are also high. He holds up really well as a wrestler in open space. You saw that in the Firmino fight, except for one time when Firmino comes in on the straight shot and then drops to his knees and, and turns the corner, which is exactly how Khabib hit the, the fight-winning takedown on him. Uh, and that's what made me think so much differently of Khabib. I'm like, oh, my God. He, he saw that. He saw that and replicated it. It wasn't something he did before. And then 
uh, Umar Nurmagomedov did it in his last, his UFC debut, his last fight. Um, so it's like a thing. They, they're seeing it and they're doing it. And it's very interesting to me. Um, but anyway, yeah, that Luis Firmino fight really is how I came to my evaluation of Gaethje as a wrestler. And I feel exactly the same way about him after the Khabib fight. I think the places where I thought he was good, he's still good. The places where I thought he was bad, he's still bad. He's not a good wrestler against the cage. It's just, it's just the facts. Um, he, he's just his, his concepts of positioning and, you know, like let's talk about being an anti-wrestler, like strike selection, but like kicking off the back foot is a really bad idea, especially if you're already at that boundary. Uh, that, that's an easy entry. You know what I mean? Uh, and Oliveira is, is a kick catcher, as we saw against Tony Ferguson, although it wasn't just like one low kick that did the trick. Ferguson uses pretty much the same uh, the same kicking weapons to you know supplement his attack. Like he has very consistent a high volume usage of like that front snap kick and things like that. So there's no way he wasn't drilling, catching that one specifically. And I think just with the range they were at and Oliveira being tall and lanky as well, it was, it was not a hard kick for him to catch. Um, and Zach McCoskey's talked about it before. He likes when people try to linear kick him. He thinks they're easier to catch <laughs> than round kicks, um, which is not something I'd heard before. I thought like, oh, this is the cheat code uh, against wrestlers. Like you're going to stand them off. They're hard to catch. They're hard to parry. And Zach was like, no, nah, I kind of like it. So I think you saw a similar thing there with Oliveira. Um, but with low kicks, they're, they're catchable. They're catchable. The issue is just it's really hard to catch them without taking them. Um, Justin Gaethje kicks very hard. So I hate to say the same thing over and over again, but it's going to be about ring craft again. Like all, all of the situations where I feel like it could go one way or the other, it's going to depend on who's, who's where. Um, is Gaethje on the back foot or does he have space? Is he pressuring, you know, or what? Is he against the cage? Like that, I feel like that's what's going to change things. If Oliveira shoots on him in open space, I think he's good there, and I think he's more liable than others to start cutting angles and turning the corner off his shots and trying to get to the back or body lock or whatever. But I, I just, I generally trust Gaethje in those positions. I, I just do. He's he's strong there. Um, and you know, if if Gaethje is holding the center, if he is pressuring, then I trust even less that Oliveira like was shooting from a good position or, or generally like had, had a good feel for it. Cause say what you will about new, new Gaethje with his back foot tactics and, you know, generally improved ring craft, you know, he can do more than one thing. He's not just move forward all the time. Um, he doesn't like take huge leaps forward on his offense very often. He's usually pretty measured. So the reactive shots won't be there quite as much with someone like versus like Dustin Poirier, who you're like, yeah, he really likes to shift into, into range. Uh, when he wants to start working the pocket and he uh he tweaked that for mcgregor by using that for his takedown entry um you know other than that he's just off the back foot so it's not like he fixed that part of his game so people don't change those things that quickly um so for gaethje like if he can hold center and pressure uh, it's it's still dangerous for sure the reactive shots are still a factor but not as big as they would be for other fighters if he's on the back foot i feel like it's the exact same problems that could be posed except more (laughs) <laughs> because I trust Oliveira more uh, to uh, to succeed on those attempts. Um, he's not like as good of a cage wrestler, but he doesn't also he doesn't need to go through all those positions. He can score pretty clean on, on his first attempt if he gets a, a deep shot, gets a good attempt. Gaethje against the cage, he he was in in the Khabib fight. He was a hot mess. He was a hot mess in that fight. He took the back foot, no under pressure. He was coming out of his stance. He was swinging huge. He was freaking out the whole time. And I don't think anyone saw that coming. 
that he was going to lose his composure and freak out like that because he is supposed to be fearless. Um, Shriram did. <laughs> I did indeed. And nobody besides Shriram saw that coming that he was going to freak out and lose his composure. Um, I think you were sadness hedging. You're like, that's the worst thing that could happen. So that's probably what's going to happen. Somewhat. Just pessimism. Um, but now I have to ask, can that happen again? Is he that guy? Was it was it all matchup specific? Is he fearless against strikers? But out against pressure grapplers, like it's the same thing that I'm experiencing with Poye, where I don't know what to think because I haven't seen another outcome besides the Luis Firmino fight, which he won. However, all the same issues that were issues in the Khabib fight were still there, so that makes me think even more so that those are real issues. On the other hand, thinking about gyms, I said ACT, they're slowly earning my trust again as a game planning gym because of the Connor fight. We had the highest opinion probably of any gym about like elevation fight team and Trevor Whitman. Um, we thought that was the best team in, in North American MMA, most likely, uh, with regards to the actual development of the fighters, not like necessarily the stable because they aren't the biggest gym, um, but they do really good work with all their fighters. And, and Trevor Whitman seems to be one of the smartest coaches. And in the whole buildup to the Khabib fight, they're like, we're going to keep his back off the cage. We're going to keep his back off the cage. And I believe they even said explicitly they were going to pressure. And then he didn't. So I don't know if it wasn't the plan or if things changed once the fight started. He's like, oh God, there's Khabib coming after me. I'm I'm scared. Uh, <laughs> like that's okay. Yeah, people get scared, especially of that guy. Um, something I forgot to mention about the the Poirier Oliveira fight is with regard to like efficacy as a counterpuncher when you're on the back foot, when you're kind of being freaked out by a grappler. Dustin Poirier, even when he was like fighting the sloppiest, messiest fight we'd seen from him thus far, uh, he hurt Khabib when he was like overextending and reaching and just trying to get something in there. He touched him and and he hurt him a little bit, uh, which is something that I thought was going to matter in the Gaethje fight. But you look at like when Gaethje was hitting him, Khabib had a chance to like brace on everything and Gaethje's feet weren't set. And a lot of it was landing like really wide cuffing shots, like on the top of the head and places like that it, it wasn't the same uh so if he is getting pressured and we're like oh well, what about his counter punching is it as effective <laughs> when he's not not a good spot plus if you're pressuring a guy a lot and you see them loading up huge to just try to scare you away that's a great time to shoot on him um and i think Oliveira gets that so i'm just gonna do I'm, i have to follow the same logic that i followed with dustin poirier that if, until i see him not have bad ring craft against a pressure grappler. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the other guy. So I'm gonna pick Oliveira. Um, I don't want to, but I think in in both those Oliveira matchups with Poirier and Gaethje, I would flip my pick if I knew if I knew about the approach, if I knew about the ring craft. Um, it's so important. It's it's like like Dan said, it's more important than it is in other matchups. Uh, it becomes a much bigger deal uh, when the person needs to avoid certain positions and certain styles of fighting to win. Um, so yeah, and also something I hadn't considered with Poirier is what's it like when he fights someone tall and lanky that he has to reach, you know, me, you know reach on his leads, reach on the counter. Um, it's different, right? The body becomes more available, which I think is a nice look, especially against Oliveira, who um, I think has been put down body strikes before a couple times, actually. Um, and, and same for Gaethje. You know, if, if I, I knew that Justin Gaethje was going to be smashing his body, I might feel pretty good. But again, I think that... Uh, Oliveira seems to understand what his game is right now. He seems to have a good idea for what he needs to do. 
his a game is a lot easier to enforce than keeping a grappler off you on the back foot. So I'm going to pick him. Scary fight. Scary fights all around. This is why we're doing this. <laughs> These are very intriguing matchups. Uh, okay. Another one. Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. Uh, it's our second to last fight to break down. Uh, so like I did with Poye, I think, I think the same general principles are, are in play. You know, it's the ring craft against the pressure grappler. Although I actually, I think this one is a little, is a little better for Justin Gaethje. Um, Michael Chandler definitely has a lot of craft as an open space shot artist. We talked about the body shot entries uh, to disguise the level change on, on the takedown entry. Um, but, you know, like I said, even with deep, well set up shot attempts, when Gaethje is out of position or you set him up well, he's got great hips. You know, he's great at pulling the shot up and making an upper body. Um, he, he's good there. He's good there. Um, and he's very physical. And I think he can kind of can, despite appearances, I think he can compete athletically with Michael Chandler, which is a huge statement. Um, Cause not many people can do that. I think he can not match him entirely, but the strength differential is going to be big. I think they're going to be comparable when it comes to that. Gaethje's taller as well. Um, so him pulling people up off wizards is going to be a lot more effective than against a, uh, a, a comparably, tall fighter um so right away right there maybe i can trust gaethje more to not get pressured hard in that fight than he was in the khabib fight because you know with justin poirier yeah he took the back foot and he backed himself all the way up against the cage against conor mcgregor and he's done it against a bunch of people right but gaethje taking the back foot looked a lot different against tony ferguson than it did against khabib and Ferguson was trying to pressure him. He wasn't going nuts, but his goal was to pressure. And Gaethje didn't give up a ton of space automatically. He made him try to earn it. And that's what was opening up a lot of his counters. And that was what was kind of, he's kind of feeding him into his strikes the whole time. He's just walking him into stuff. Um, so I think, you know, both of them being on the back foot was a mistake against Khabib. At least for Gaethje, it's not an inborn thing that's automatically really bad. I think the fighter, the opponent has to exacerbate that issue. Um, so I don't think Gaethje is as, assure, as sure of a thing to put himself all the way over there as, as I would expect Poirier to be. So I'm a little less worried about that dynamic here. Um, something I am worried about is the kick catching again. I talked about with Oliveira. Chandler is a very good low kick catcher. Um, that's something he's done to a bunch of people. He's done to Alvarez a bunch. Uh, and, you know, into takedown entries and also into blasting him in the face which is exactly how Justin Poirier beat him. Um, that was how the finish started. So that's a specific dynamic that I called in a, I wrote an article about this fight, actually. Not about this fight, but I wrote it about how does Chandler enforce his offensive wrestling game um, for the potential that he might step in as an alternate against Gaethje. And that was something I noted is that he is he's very good in that, in that position. He's good at catching kicks and transitioning that into his offense. Um and yeah, his offense is very explosive, and that's a lot different than anything else Gaethje's had to deal with with someone's coming in hot, hot and fast <laughs> to, to get into get into his face and, and attack him. Uh, also, body work has been a bit of an issue for Gaethje. Uh, people have had uh, more openings than not on his body, even like James Vick was kicking his body. Uh, so we talked about the first Benson-Henderson fight. Uh, we talked about the Eddie Alvarez fights for Chandler. Those were good kicking performances for Chandler. He he's a pretty good body kicker. Um, he even he even push kicked Dan Hooker into the cage. Um, he incorporates kicks into his offense. It's not as a 
you know, hard combo driven as people would like it to be. It's not like he's, it's all the time. It's sometimes it feels separate because he loads him up so much. He really needs a lot of wind up to get to him, but they're a great weapon. They're a great cage cutting weapon. And they're just a great offensive weapon because he, everything he does is very powerful. So he kicks super hard. So I would worry about that as well. I'd worry about him hitting Gaethje's body. I would worry about him catching kicks. I'd worry about him making Gaethje wrestle a lot, even if he's doing well in open space. I'd worry about the amount of wrestling, especially because you know shutting down a takedown attempt entirely and getting separation is a lot easier said than done. So even if you're doing a good job not getting taken down, maybe he's still on that single and he's got that lifted. He can walk you into the cage off that. It's really hard to stop someone from doing that unless you uh, limp leg out and kick. And I have seen Gaethje limp leg out and kick before, but it usually wasn't when they had the leg high in shells and, and were working the single finish usually on, on the entry or like a reattack or something like that. Um, so I don't know. It, it's actually a very interesting matchup to me. I think it's the one they make, uh, just for the record. I think they do Poirier Oliveira and I think they do Chandler Gaethje. That makes sense to me. Um, that would be the logical way to do this. So it probably won't happen, but I think that's what they should do. And it would make a lot of sense if they did it. Um, yeah, I, I'm having a hard time picking Chandler just because, uh, let's say that that strategy doesn't pay off immediately. And I talked about the early submission threat against Poirier. I think that's still in play here. Um, you know, just with, with transitional offense, you have to front headlock or get in his back or what have you. Um, but as like a strategy of like him taking Justin Gaethje down and holding him down over the whole fight, Justin Gaethje is really good at making the fight a crazy mess where one of you is going to get tired and, and lose. Like it's going to happen <laughs> like if you engage with him in, in this thing, if you can't completely shut him down. And, uh, you know, just based on Gaethje having just trained for Khabib, I think that's the kind of fight he's ready for um, against a fighter who is not quite the same control artist and not the, quite the same pressure fighter. So he just had the matchup where he needed to deal with the linear pressure fighter um, and not get grappled. And why didn't this logic apply for, for, for Poye for me? I think it was largely just because of the degrees of how the ring craft suffers. Like I said in the beginning, I think that's the main distinction I have. Also, the ability as open space wrestlers. I don't... I, I said it last time and Julian made fun of me in the promo video. There was a promo video after our last panel where uh, Julian pulled the clip of me saying that Dustin Poye is not a good open space wrestler. And then he shows him taking Conor McGregor down. That was bad. That was not a good takedown. <laughs> that was very terrible defense by Conor McGregor. So yes, I ate my words, but it wasn't good. And it wasn't defense either. So Julian, leave me alone. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't trust him as much as an open space wrestler as I trust Gaethje. Uh, I might trust him a little more against the cage somehow, uh, but probably not for Gaethje. Because even though Gaethje doesn't have like probably the depth, um, this, the things he does are more simple and they work better. Like he's just going to get a wizard and like, Try to get a wrist and pull you off of them. Also, the physical strength, I think, is more of a factor there. Uh, being able to compete with him athletically. like He's not a cardio machine like Poirier is, but even when he's tired, he still fights well. Chandler and Gaethje are actually very similar in that regard, that they both push a crazy pace and they both get tired. But when they fight tired, it's still a very, very effective way of fighting uh, in different ways. But, yeah, so I, I think it, it could really be a drag-out war. But Justin Gaethje usually wins those. Um, whereas Chandler usually has his, you know, his worst moments in fights when it's become more competitive and things are back and forth. And he's going to have his periods where he's not as effective as others, where he needs to like catch his breath or get a second wind or reset or something like that. That's usually when things start to build up. 
And Justin Gaethje is not really the guy that you want to let build on you. Um, like Dan Albert talked about in the Benson Henderson fight. Like when things, when, when Chandler got tired of beating up Benson Henderson, he had to like take his foot off the gas a little bit. Henderson came after him and was very effective. Um, pressuring him, he, he put him on the cage, took him down, took his back, um, getting off with the strikes. So let's say that Chandler, his only defense for the low kicking is to try to catch it. What if that doesn't work? His legs can get chewed up. And, you know, I don't think he's, you know, vulnerable to the legs. Like his legs are weak or anything like that. But they've been kicked before and it's 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 lost him a fight before. Um, so there's that. There's the body work. There's the counter work. Like what I thought would be an issue for his fight with Dustin Poirier. So I think there's, there's more things against him in this fight than there is in a Poirier matchup. And I picked Poirier, which I, I'm regretting, actually. Um, but I think I trust Gaethje to win this fight more than I trust Poirier. So I'm going to go ahead and pick Gaethje here, too. Uh, haven't picked Chandler yet, which is very off-brand. <laughs> what about you, Sharon? Uh Yeah, I mean, as I said with the last Chandler pick, I'm not particularly familiar with a lot of what Chandler does. So um, I think it's an interesting fight because of that athletic parity, as you mentioned. Um, I kind of trust Gaethje more on the back foot. Okay, not, not, not kind of. I definitely trust Gaethje more on the back foot than Dan Hooker. I think a lot of that fight was uh, Chandler just kind of figuring out Hooker's predictable exits and him having absolutely no body shot defense, which I don't think is the case with Justin Gaethje. I think if um, Chandler just goes after the body as hard as he did against Hooker, against Gaethje, Gaethje's eventually going to start figuring out counters. By eventually, I mean like a minute or two. Like Gaethje's, uh, uh, in terms of smaller exchanges, Gaethje's fairly smart. He's very good at punishing tendencies. And I think it's a tough fight if Chandler expects it to, like even backfoot Gaethje, I don't love against most fight, most fighters, but I think this is a fight where Gaethje can cause some damage off the back foot because Chandler is a very hard pressure, very explosive pressure. And I think Gaethje isn't necessarily going to be as this guy is a big top pressure type fighter the way he was against Khabib because there's a little bit more threat on the feet and Chandler isn't generally going to just come out and gun for the takedown immediately. He's going to try to set it up a little bit. And I think that'll give Gaethje a little bit more confidence in terms of striking, planning and striking with him rather than circling out super hard. Anytime he's like anywhere near the fence, he, he, he seriously didn't Edson Barboza in that fight. It was incredibly disturbing. And I don't think that's going to happen with uh, Michael Chandler. So I think it's a fight where it, it kind of depends on what Michael Chandler is going to do. If Chandler comes out and puts the thought of the takedown into Gaethje right away, I think we could see a trickier fight for Justin Gaethje because Gaethje, I kind of think he's set in his ways as a back foot fighter at this point. I was hoping against Khabib, he would be able to, you know, switch it on and off or like against Ferguson and Cerrone where they square up, Gaethje would be like, okay, I'm going to go on the back foot and wait for them to square up and beat the hell out of them for it. But against Khabib, he's probably not going to square up because he's not really going to try to like charge me. He's going to try to, walk me to the fence and take me down, I'm going to pressure. But that's not really what Gaethje is at this point. I think he's, rather than having tactical options, I think he's just a different tactical fighter. So if Chandler comes out and threatens the takedown, I think we could see that same kind of, uh, oh shit, this is not how this fight's supposed to be. Uh, I need to get away from the fence as soon as possible. But I think it kind of depends on the first round. This is that kind of fight where if Chandler strikes with Gaethje at length, I think Gaethje can kind of get a back foot game going a little bit easier uh, because he's going to be, you know, doing things that ironic, not ironically, but incidentally are better at dealing with wrestlers than what he tries to do against wrestlers, which is, you know, uh, staying in a stance, pivoting out, sidestepping more measuredly. Um, I think Chandler struggles to set takedowns up if he's going to be doing it with a striking because Gaethje is just such an unforgiving counterpuncher. 
and such a powerful counterpuncher that I'm not sure Chandler is going to have opportunities to do what he did against Hooker, where he just hammered the same thing again and again and again and was able to just find the shot the end of the night. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to go with Gaethje just because partly because Ed did it, mostly because Ed did it. Um, but, you know, also I kind of just have my worries with Chandler um, at athletic parity, at motor parity, at, um, you know, with the kind of fight that he fights against Justin Gaethje. Right on. I I, uh, I feel like uh, I'm a little scared because I, I feel like I'm not as high on on Gaethje's wrestling, which means as Ed, but which means maybe I'm doing a little bit of uh, recency bias there from his last performance. I don't know. I was wrong as hell in, in the Khabib fight. So, I mean, you have the high <laughs> ground here. Well, it's just it just becomes like between clench and leg attacks. And when I said Frankenstein, like Gaethje is, is, is underrated from the clinch, but then also Khabib, even though he's, you know, you don't want to let him tie up, he's not bad from there, obviously. He was also, I used Frankenstein because he was very, whereas Oliveira has that too, but he'll also shoot under. And whereas Chandler, I mean, we've seen, he does a lot of drills and stuff he'll post like from clinch stuff, but I don't know, Ed, you say different, but like, I feel like it's mainly been leg attacks. Even when he's like in tie-up situations, he'll even reshoot like in that Henderson fight and like, go lower for the legs maybe even when he when he shouldn't um but i do believe that those attacks you know obviously the first line sprawl is really tough from gaethje um uh but i do believe that those attacks are the way to go now as you're talking like i could see a scenario because again chandler doesn't have like the best setups in the world either he can competently set up he can competently chain he can competently react but like you know, is it like a lot of it's, you know, with, with his fight style, it's very explosive. And, you know, we could see something. And I know Gaethje's defense against the fence isn't as good, but like I still remember that Will Brooks fight. I know that's just a weird kind of sample from Chandler's. And we talked about that last time, kind of where Chandler was for the striking. But I can't really make it an excuse as far as that chapter of his career for his wrestling, right? That's that should always kind of be his bread and butter. And I was just, I don't know. I was really uncomfortable when I went back to watch and saw him when he was getting stuffed on his doubles uh, against the fence, like how little uh, and how, uh, you know, how ineffective for lack of a better word, or if it's too harsh of word, he was against Brooks as far as like chaining off there and getting something going. And if Gaethje is able to shut that down, I could slowly see like Chandler start to fall apart. However, even if Gaethje is able to scramble and make those type of fights, um, I feel like Chandler is going to recover better. He's got better recoverability and better cardio, even though off of face value, especially their energy level. It's like the, it's like the Spider-Man meme where they're pointing at each other, you know, like the bull in the China, the China shop, like Justin Gaethje has entered the lightweight division. Like it's the same thing as Michael Chandler's entered the lightweight UFC's lightweight division. Like it's very similar feels. So I could totally see Gaethje winning this one. And I think he should probably would at least be favored from a betting perspective. Um, but I would still pick Chandler one bias, but two, I will say this, this is the, this is the IQ. This is the clearest IQ test matchup of them all for me in, in a sense, because um, not just the way Chandler, like how he fought against Dan Hooker. I know we can criticize Dan Hooker's defense, his overall performance uh, main line to more uh, fresher problems that he showed in that fight. Sure. However, um, it was a more composed measured and even though limited, he knew exactly how to play off of what that limited arsenal was. That was Michael Chandler. And if he does go out there and not just fight smarter and more composed, but still showing that cannonball like pressure to get guys like Gaethje on the back foot, which I think would serve him well in this fight, no matter the, the cage side 
size, um, I, I, I would have a hard time still picking against Chandler just because of knowing what he can do if he gets on top and matching that athleticism and the wrestling prowess. Plus you have the mat wrestling submission ability and again, ground and pound. Although I do agree on the note that um, KHT, I, even though I see him getting out cardio and out, out mat wrestled, he's not going to sit there and just let you control him either. Like you're going to have to put him away. Um, so he's not going to be able to sit in there and pound on Gagey or anything like that. But I don't know. I feel like it's more of an IQ test. And if I know that Chandler's going to go in and fight smart, I feel like I, I could pick him as confidently as you can in, in a matchup like this, but which is not confident at all. But uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and pick Chandler. Makes sense. Just to uh, clarify at an earlier point. Yeah, I didn't mean that uh, Chandler was going to be trying to take him down upper body. I mean, that Gaethje's good at pulling a leg attack up into an upper body situation where he's very strong. Uh, I also just, you made me think about, you talked about scrambling, you made me think about uh, Justin Gaethje likes to a uh, funk roll and Granby and, and try to sometimes try to cheat his way out of takedown defense and like not actually do the leg attack defense and just try to transition out of it, which has worked in the past. He's good at it. But uh for my Chandler articles, I watched a lot of his college matches and you see it a little bit in his MMA fights. He's just a fantastic scrambler and he's very, very good in those positions. And also he wrestled at Missouri, which is the alma mater of Ben Askren, where a lot of the funk rolling originated with Mike Ironman, yada, yada. So that would not work <laughs> very well. So just adds, adds something else to, to Chandler's favor. I'm just trying to give Chandler as much praise as possible because I did not pick him at all yet. And uh, I feel bad. I feel very bad about it, Dan. I feel like I betrayed you. All right. Dan Albert, you, you go ahead. Um, whereas Dan Tom has admitted his bias for Chandler, I have the opposite bias. I am biased for Gaethje. Um, And it's not because I wrote a freaking dissertation that I need to rewrite because it's garbage now about it. Uh, but, you know. So I want to touch upon a few things earlier. It was not 40K words. It was 25K words. I have the word doc. It doesn't matter. Don't read it, by the way. Um, so, all right. So I think um, one thing about Gaethje that a, a lot of people I'll talk about a lot is like, yeah, the kind of pressure that he would bring as the violence idiot was incredibly like, it would lead to him having to take fire in return, but it was a lot harder to hit Gaethje than I think most people understand because um, I always remember how much difficulty, especially in those first three UFC fights that Johnson, Alvarez, and Poirier had hitting him, even when they were trying to go to the body because he would either counter them, lay kick them, etc. I specifically remember Alvarez, for instance, would have to like start mixing in level changes and jabs as he was trying to go to the body because Gaethje was starting to counter punch and jab with him. And, um, but the thing is with Gaethje, there's always going to be an asterisk with just his gas tank. But um, the question is with Gaethje, like, where are you going to go after this loss? Are you going to stay this like, quote-unquote thinking course and I, I don't necessarily think Gaethje is a thinking fighter personally I think Gaethje is kind of someone who is all about like okay how much did I get success in this moment I, I think Gaethje is more of like a, a feeler flow kind of fighter as in he has to have some kind of success and then just keep going with that I think that's why firefight Gaethje worked so well because he just knew instinctively okay here's what I can do 
in these exchanges. Here's how I can flow and just keep going at that rapid pace because I believe I can deal more damage than you at the exact same pace the whole time. Because even the finishes Gaethje got, he never really like changed that tempo ever. Um, and it's kind of the same with more like backwards Gaethje too, because you see like it's more like, okay, control, hey, time to hit you. All right, done, back to this. Like just all about consistent flow with Gaethje is always what I've noticed. So I don't know if it's like entirely like thinking or like, Whitman influence of like teaching that process or fundamentals but I think that's generally um the kind of things Gaethje excels at like very tactical kind of processes so with Chandler I I never really know what like Chandler goes into fights to really like think about or like I think Chandler has a very similar like gotta go 110 miles per hour to get this done at the same pace, but in light Gaethje, it backfires. But I think Chandler's focus is typically to overwhelm you quickly and to try to finish you quickly, whereas Gaethje's was often more attritional. And so th that's kind of the interesting dichotomy here. But then I have to factor in like, and I totally admit my grappling wrestling knowledge uh, is inadequate. I think the others in this panel have already done good enough job breaking it down. But when I still think about this fight on the feet, um, I always go back to the same question I had with Poirier Chandler, which is a matter of depth. Because when I think about guys who have hit Gaethje's body, I've even like James Vick, who had to mix in jabs and body kicks together. Or when I think about even Ferguson having to mix up that rhythm and then he got shut down later. Or I have to think about those things and ask, okay, how much can Chandler really mix it up? Cause I've seen it before with Alvarez too. Is he still capable of putting on that game? I have no idea. I'll assume he is, but that same game plan constantly like put him under fire. And I've already said my piece. I don't think Chandler is as durable or, or can afford to be that way as he used to. So I don't really like know for sure what that's going to look like. Um, I'm going to say that Chandler's reactive double in the center of the cage poses some potential issues, but I don't necessarily think Justin rushes at guys like he used to. It's more like plotting's not a good word for it. It's more like measured pressure, more cutting, etc. But I, I will say with Chandler, I do not think he can win this final th the back foot. I don't know if he can do it. If he can't get that reactive shot, and get any chain wrestling off of there or surprise Justin and with some like overhead set up with body shots or involved any mix-ups ideally he puts kicks back into his game because I my point is like I think Chandler needs to have depth to his game in order to win this on the feet or at least get it to the areas that he needs it to go into I'm not sure earth through a number of intangibles or just a lack of ancillaries that he has those anymore. But I think he can surprise Gaethje at points, most likely. But for every surprise he brings, like, he loses options, the way I see it. Because I just see him getting worn down more and more if he can't find those answers early on. That, that's how I feel about Gaethje Chandler. And so I feel like just logically Gaethje's just a far easier, safer pick.
Sounds good. So that brings us to our last fight of the official portion. And that's going to be, uh, scroll down too far, Chandler again versus Charles Oliveira. This is the only one we haven't talked about, right? Good. Okay. Dan Albert, Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje. You mean Charles Oliveira versus Michael Chandler? I said it right the first time, and then um, I, I was really confident. But yeah, you, you no, got that's it. That's okay. Don't listen to me. That's okay. Um, I do listen to you because I like you. you know, you're my conscience sometimes. Um, oh, God. To be honest, I don't really feel prepared to talk about this one. Um, it, it, as in thinking about the dynamics of it. Because I, I, I partially don't really get Oliveira perfectly yet to be honest um i think Oliveira likes to draw guys in and then counter them um chandler's speed i see kind of being a problem i see the kicks of Oliveira if he's able to press him back being a problem i think this fight is the most general way i can look at it is who can push each other back i don't know how the wrestling or grappling will look like so i'll leave someone else else who knows what they're talking about to talk about that um I can see Oliveira maybe smothering some attempts with the clinch and then getting some work done in there. I can see I can see Chandler like setting up body shots to overhands, but then I think about it a bit more in layers and I can see Oliveira getting some counters in and then shifting and staying on Chandler constantly. I don't know whose pace is going to overwhelm who first. I don't really I I kind of just don't know what that fight looks like. But I imagine Oliveira would be the more active guy or at least would instantly start pressing. And once again, I think about the word depth. So I, on the feet, I think that's kind of how I feel. On the ground, um, I have no idea what that looks like. And I I don't really think I have a clear read of either guy's ground games against each other. But I, I feel like just on the feet alone, I kind of feel like I have to pick Oliveira. And it, it feels very superficial kind of analysis, but I just really have no idea. I uh, I like those notes there. And as you were uh, saying, like, you know, Oliveira, I could totally, like, stay on him, especially after he got him hurt. Um, I could totally see that. And it just for some reason got me thinking about Oliveira calling out Max Holloway randomly like three or four fights ago, still wanting that fight. And I'm like, that'd be an awesome fight to see again. Even if just Max came up to 155. I know, I know the fight site guys are, are aren't going to be, uh, you know, uh, aren't amongst the gen pop out there who are like, we need Vulcan Max three. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So I would love to see that to sidetrack, but under this fight. Um, yeah, it's funny. I do also like that Dan mentions the speed difference because that's a huge thing. Um, it was something that I said ahead of the hooker fight. And even I was surprised with how much of a speed difference it in fact was, right? Uh, and the fact that, like like you guys said, he's still doing it, Chandler is still doing it at 34 is insane. Now, obviously, I picked Chandler, I'm high on him, and I have bias. But I, I want to state this. I don't think I've said this enough. Like, he is easily, ar- arguably, but easily arguably, in my opinion, like the least durable cat out of all these four, by the way. Especially the lightweight versions of Poirier and Oliveira. Um, so don't get it twisted. Like, even though I sided with him over Gaethje and even less reluctantly or more reluctantly, I should say over Poirier, like, don't get it twisted. A counter hook from either of those two 
could totally send those matchups in a different trajectory. And I do believe that Poirier is the hardest for Chandler in my eyes um, for what it's worth, even though I'm picking Chandler. And I'm going to pick Chandler again here um, because even though I also have up until now, I believe I picked Oliveira or at least kind of side sided with him more favorably and all the matchups he's had that we've discussed. Um, I believe this is his toughest matchup, not just for the speed um, that I mentioned to build off of Dan's point, but when it comes to the grappling as well, uh, it is a wrestler that's going to shoot low and uh, shooting low as opposed to clinch would be bad against Oliveira because you're going to go into front headlock city. Right. Um, and all those things, however, and again, this doesn't always like it's, it's a really bad brush to paint with, um, you know, that Poye has got a good guillotine. So he probably can navigate through some front headlock. And even though Chandler does have a, have a guillotine himself and is like submission savvy for a wrestler, um, you know, I still like, I don't think anyone would be surprised if Oliveira submitted Chandler, right? Um, that being said, he's, he is one of those notoriously tough guys to submit. Like you hear about even in practice, like, you know, I, I don't know how much is hyperbole of Javier Mendez going, I've never seen anybody submit even practice. Like, I'm not going to say that. In fact, like I've seen Bantamweights who, you know, probably should be a lot better than they are. Um, but I, I, I've seen Bantamweights choke out Chandler in the gym, older iterations of Chandler, like getting to his back and RNC and him and him getting very upset, by the way, very upset. Um, does not like that very competitive dude will not give up those subs. Even in practice does not like to give them up. Right. Uh, that, that being said, you know, what happens in the gym stays in the gym. That kind of stuff is crazy as it sounds folks. That actually happens a lot more than y'all would realize. So I'm not trying to condemn or throw shade at my guy. I'm just saying like, it, it wouldn't be a surprise to see Oliveira um, get to any of those positions. However, because of the wrestling scrambling and submission savvy, you know, being a wrestler is not afraid to put his hooks in really well trained on how to kill jujitsu from like guys like, you know, Melanson, et cetera. Um, I just feel like it would be a really bad matchup. And I feel like he could just Paul Felder his way. And that's what he probably would want to do um, with the ground and pound. Cause again, we talk about the takedowns and the finishing and the back taking ability, but that middle ground of ground and pound, it's not something Chandler does enough of, like I said before, but I think it's a big game changer potentially for all these matchups, but most specifically um, for the Oliveira uh, fight again, probably easier time getting Oliveira in one place than Gaethje, even though Oliveira is the more talented grappler, right? Which we went over. So um, that, that's why I'll, I will still stick with my Chandler bias um, here, but like, don't get it twisted, even against one of the slowest and maybe not as knockout power guys on this list, which is Oliveira, like Oliveira hurt Chandler um, early, you know, with something even like, sure. Like that would not surprise me by the slightest. I do think that, whether it's big cage or small cage, Chandler is the hardest matchup for Oliveira, in my opinion, um, on, 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 on this list. And it might not play out that way, but just the way I see it. Yeah, I mean, out of all these matchups, this is the one I have the least to say about, no coincidence, because it's like the grappliest one. Um, I think Chandler's defensive wrestling is going to be a trouble for Oliveira to really get comfortable because of how uh, Oliveira is – not real, not necessarily reliant, but I think a lot of what he does, um, a lot of his comfort is based on his ability to get fights to the ground, and it's very deserved. But I think Chandler is a much sounder defensive wrestler than Tony Ferguson at this point. Uh, I'm probably always, and I think 
Oliveira's a bit too vulnerable in exchanges for me to trust him against a really big bomb. It's a lot like what I said with uh, Dustin Poirier on the feet, but without the massive gaping hole in takedown defense, where I think uh, Michael Chandler can like play with his guard a little bit. We saw Chandler hit the body of Dan Hooker very, very committedly after he saw that opening. And I think Oliveira's pretty liable to that too, because of Oliveira's like, he's more comfortable as a striker offensively in the pocket, but defensively, he's still quite rudimentary. I think Chandler can get to his body and build up to the head. I think Chandler, um, if it goes long, I think Chandler can take over both with the body work and just with the pace that he can push. I think putting Oliveira on the back foot is an interesting way to maybe give him some trouble because Oliveira has mostly been a, a pressurer in his recent run. But I also think a lot of it's been based on guys being really scared of his grappling. And I'm not sure Chandler has to be when he's uh, such a sound defensive wrestler and when he's such a, uh, a good grappler himself. Uh, I think Oliveira is going to struggle in that fight to get his fight. But again, there's also the threat of uh, Oliveira being able to draw out a bad, a bad leg attack from Chandler, just like how he did against Kevin Lee, you know, kicked him in the body and immediately guillotined him, which is pretty cool. But I'm not sure it's as accessible against someone who's not going to give up the back foot. We saw even in the Kevin Lee fight, uh, Oliveira is, he's a good bottom player, but I'm not sure he's like the elite, super dangerous uh, Joe Rogan. He has the dangerous guard type guard player. Uh, and no one is aside from like Anthony Pettis. Uh, there aren't many guys who can like just explode into subs out of neutral. It's just not a thing that people are good at. And for good reason, especially as guys get better on top and Chandler is no exception. So I think Chandler has a bunch of roots here to stay safe. Uh, it's just Oliveira always has that, you know, something happens, you guys end up in a messy scramble and he just ends up on like a calf slicer or something. But uh, I, I think I'll pick Chandler to win this most of the time. Yeah. I, I love this fight. I hope it happens eventually. I hope it's not the next one, but I hope it happens for the title, perhaps. That'd be cool. Um, but five-rounder for sure. Uh, yeah, you guys have all made excellent points. I agree with basically everything. This is a good one to talk about. Chandler's defensive wrestling is outstanding. Um, really, the only times I haven't seen it look good are those deep-in-the-fight moments where, you know, he's very tired, a lot has happened, and maybe he's trying to cheat the defense, like I was talking about with Gaethje, and like, I'm going to – I'm going to – dive on the leg. I'm going to funk roll. I'm going to Granby stuff like that rather than like, I'm going to fight the hands and, you know, try to separate and do all that really laborious hand fighting and things that you're supposed to do. Um, it's funny. That's the athlete option. It's like, you know, my arms are kind of tired, so it's, it's difficult for me to do the traditional defense of this. So I'm going to do the really difficult acrobatic maneuver instead, because that's actually easier for me to do right now. Um, which you see in college and all the time people Granby instead of trying to do a traditional get up because they're tired and you're just like wrestlers are, a different species. Um, it's so funny, but his defense is outstanding uh, in pretty much every position. And he's, it's, it's technically sound, it's athletic, it's physical. Um, I gushed over it in uh, the other article that I wrote about what a fight with him and Khabib would look like. I think he would do really well in that matchup. I'm not saying I would pick a man's Khabib, but I think he could really show off what he's got in, in that kind of situation. Uh, and I think this is a fight where he can kind of pick how he wants to do it. Um, if he wants to pressure and try to take him down and felder him, I think that's there. I think that could work. If he wants to stand with him, I think that could work. I think there's a lot of danger regardless. Um, we talked about transitional submissions, definitely a factor. I think uh, Chandler's submission defense invites his look good. He hasn't fought anyone who's like actually as much of a submission threat as Oliveira is. <laughs> That's supposed to be what Brent Premise is. 
but let's be honest, that's not even a close comparison. Um, guy who has done a go-go plata versus you know one of one of the uh, Yamauchi. That's that's a good one as well. He he uh, he grappled him the whole time, right? Goiti, there. Thank you, Dan Tom. Uh, we we can cheat and tell each other things in the chat. Um, but yeah, this would this would be the best guard player and, and grappler that he's fought. Um, if Oladera ends up taking him down, then I would be very worried. But I just think the avenues to getting to that point one, Oliveira would have to be pressuring him, or you know, get a reactive shot, which I don't. You know, with the height differential, I think it'd be really tough um, for Oliveira to do. It just doesn't feel like a comfortable way for Oliveira to fight this one. I think Oliveira would actually give him some space and try to outfight a little bit and counter his pressure encounter his wrestling i think that would be his avenue um which would be smart honestly because i talked about it the last time the first time i discussed Oliveira. his striking weapons are very good for anti-wrestling um they're very linear um you know the front snap kick and you know jabbing and a lot of straight hitting and for chandler who's basically every reaction is you know hard charging level change in uh, no matter what he's doing that would probably work really well what we saw against dan hooker was that Chandler did take a few like stutter steps. wasn't It wasn't like it wasn't necessarily fainting entries, but he he waited. He he picked his spots a little more patiently than we've we've seen him in the past. Um, let Hooker try to get off his own offense, and then then picked his entries based on that. Um, and you know got him in uncomfortable positions with his feet before he attacked. So that was a little smarter than we've seen from him other times uh, in his career. Oliveira, I think is pretty dangerous off the back foot. I believe the, uh, like the Jared Gordon knockout, he was on the back foot and, uh, you know, hit him with, with the uppercut or something like that. And then like several pivoted off and hit him again or something of that nature. You can correct me, but it, it was off the back foot. So he's still dangerous there. He doesn't fall apart completely. He's still interested in hitting the Kevin Lee fight is when, even when Lee tried to pressure him or stop it, uh, when they're colliding, all those things were still happening. And like I said, he's pulling the head and hitting him and trying to, work him down, which would be a lot more available against Chandler, who is shorter. Uh, we talked about Chandler's height a lot in the last <laughs> podcast. So I'm going to try not to do that again. Um, shorter than advertised is what we landed on. Uh, and Oliveira is pretty tall for the division. So I think that would be weird in this matchup. It does open up the body hitting, like I said before. But again, this is someone where a little bit differently than Dan Hooker, he's more consistent with his use of tools that, that punish level changes. It's not like one big thing, like it's a knee. Where like, I'm going to knock you out if you level change hard into me. But it's a lot of little things constantly that, that are better for that. Although, we haven't seen that as much. Uh, we didn't see that as much in the, uh, in the Tony Ferguson fight. So he approached that one as, I'm going to counter your pressure. Um, yeah, thanks, Dan Albert, telling me about the... Uh, caught him on the back foot, turned him, then hit the colors high uppercut. Cool. It was awesome. Um, but yeah, in the Tony Ferguson fight, which was a time where Oliveira said, I'm going to counter your pressure... He, uh, his, his volume is a lot lower. He's kind of waiting on Ferguson to do his thing. And we talked about the speed differential. Waiting on Michael Chandler is a bad idea. I think we have figured that out <laughs> so far. You shouldn't do that, um, especially if you're not amazing defensively on the back foot. Like we said that Oliver is still dangerous there, but I don't think he's like the cage craft technician that's going to you know be able to get out of the way. Like, I think he's still going to be able to offer offense, but you know if he doesn't rock you and have you in front of him not doing anything to turn off. I think you can still put him on the cage. Um, Dan, Tom, you really inspired a lot of confidence for me and Chandler, the last panel we did when you talked about his coaching situations. I don't know if that was on the record or off the record, but basically you talked about how his rise was all through extreme couture and the coaches he had there. 
he spent some time at another gym where you were aware of a coaching situation that wasn't great for him. And that's when the Will Brooks fights happened. Uh, and then he moved to, to Henry Hoof's gym, which has been five different names at this point. Um, <laughs> hold on, it was Black Zillions. And I think for a while they weren't Black Zillions. They were like the Hako Training Center there by their sponsor. And then they were uh, Hard Knocks 365 and now they're Sanford. There'll probably be another one <laughs> down the line. They're not done changing their name, but it's the Henry Hoof gym. Um, he's, he's been developing very well there. Uh, it's been great for him. And I think he absorbs a lot from his training partners. I think him and Usman have been an amazing match. I don't know if Usman's still there full-time anymore. He might've migrated permanently, uh, to uh, Colorado, but they've been awesome for each other. I think Gilbert Burns is a training partner that could really make a difference here. Uh, not that Burns and Oliveira are that similar as grapplers. I don't think it's like he's going to give him the looks that Oliveira is going to give him, but I think he can replicate a lot of it. And I think he can tell him, here's what you do for that to be less of a threat. Uh, and I think he's going to be going to him immediately and say, help me <laughs> if I'm fighting Charles Oliveira. Um, so I think that opened up the avenues a little bit more for him to be putting him on the cage and wrestling him, which I think he would do pretty well. Uh, Oliveira is not the best defensive wrestler because he doesn't feel like he needs to be most of the time. It's not really a factor a lot of the time for him. This would be one of the times where it would need to happen. And I think um, that would be a good avenue for him. So attacking the body, the speed differential, the options, uh, like you've all said, the durability is definitely a question, I think for both of them, but a little bit more for Chandler at this point. Uh, so it could go south quickly, but I could, I just visualizing the win. Um, there's just a lot more ways that I could see Chandler winning this one than, than the other fights. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I think I'm going to pick Michael Chandler this time. I, I've, I've betrayed him previously, but this <laughs> time I'm going to go for him. And, uh, we, we've been talking for a long time. So that's all the matchups of the top four, uh, things that you, you have a burning desire to talk about. I'll just do a quick add-on. Um, yeah, I, I, I did mention the coaching thing, and that's fine. I did mention it on air, I believe. But it, basically just that there wasn't a lot of striking specialization on a lot, at Alliance, which is something clear through a lot of their sample size, right? Um, unless you got a weird you know, s- skill you brought to the table, like Dom Cruz and everyone else was trying to you know, imitate it to no effect at all. Um, you know, and, and again, I love that. I love the gym. I love the, uh, I love a lot of the coaching staff there. RIP to some of them wrestling coach, right? Brian Keck, uh, USA wrestling guy used to, uh, taught me a lot, at least my, my dumb ass a lot about wrestling at extreme couture. Um, so it's no shade. It's just, he was without a, that, you know, you, you see him go from Gil Martinez and he's using boxing guards and rolling and all that's gone. And he's walking straight forward into punches. So that fits more not to make an excuse for Chandler, but that kind of lends to Ed's technical um, explanation of Chandler that he is, whether you like him or not, whether you're picking him or not, he is getting better. And it does go along those lines. I'll just close. I know we've been talking a while, so I'll just close off with the intangibles, which I know we don't really cover too much for more of the technical talk, but I will say that it's interesting is for one that again, I I laid out my Poye and all of it, all of Aaron Chandler and why I'm high on them too but also why Poirier is kind of deceptively the toughest fight for everybody for obvious reasons. Um, however, with Poirier mentioning retirement, uh, I don't know where his head's at. And I think that's a real big flag because Poirier was a guy where even when it looked like he was breaking in fights and even in fights where it looked like he was going to break and then he overcame in this run. Right. What was he always shouting? He's like, you know, he's like, I was born for this. Pay me, baby. I love this stuff. You know, he's always, he always was just so jacked, even though he's barely limping. Right. 
he didn't have that attitude and he had every right to be as pumped as he wanted to be after beating a guy like McGregor. Right. Um, so that worries me. And, but two, I feel like you're going to get the best from all these fighters is because like Ferguson and he might already be, you know, be done right. Like fully shot at this point. So I, I'm more on that, on that boat. Um, so don't get it twisted, but people say like, Oh, Ferguson maybe is better with the crowd. Well, I feel like all these fighters we're talking, we are talking about, I think they are, they're all performing better during this pandemic era. I believe all these guys perform better crowdless, you know, the battles of breaking or overexerting yourself for cardio, which is Chandler and Gaethje problem or collapsing, which has been a Poirier and Oliveira problem, especially in other weight classes. I feel like this pandemic era, like it's no coincidence. They've all fought some of their smartest fights. We saw a strategic grappling performance from Oliveira that he hasn't had. We saw a strategic counterpunching performance from Gaethje during the pandemic. We saw, you know, some of the most brilliant adjusting and getting out cleanly, not having to go four or five rounds with a beating before he finds his counter to put the guy away in Poirier. Like, I don't think these things are coincidences. Um, these fighters are much better during this pandemic era. So hopefully they can get some important fights in before the crowds come back and ruin their mojo. How about you other fine folks? Any other thoughts to lay on the table? Uh, yeah, uh, Abdulaziz Abdulwahabak beats them all. Uh, maybe not, but uh, yeah, I mean, this is it's been a fun conversation. I don't really think um, it, all of them are relatively close, which is actually pretty rare at lightweight uh, for the last couple of years since Khabib's been, you know, how do you deal with this really specific challenge that no one else has ever been able to deal with at the weight class? But uh, yeah, I mean, I could see anyone coming out on top. I think Poirier is already the number one like pretty clearly at this point like if you're to like name someone as the champion it's it's Poirier like very clearly but uh yeah it, it's winnable for all of them Dan Albert uh yeah I think like no matter what I think your takeaway if you spent two hours or however long this was listening to our nonsensical yeah. ramblings <laughs> um just understand that like all these are not like open and shut fights at all and that all of them have intangibles that hell we probably haven't even discussed about and we discussed a lot of them but most of all i wouldn't go into all these thinking like certain situations are absolutes until we see them and hey hopefully matchmaking is cool and we get to see all these down the road in a good world where you know people aren't dying every day you know dark stuff uh, anyways, um, I my final comment is um, we should ideally get rid of the Dan Power Rankings because they're <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> and that isn't because I am in last place. Actually, I don't think I'm in last place. I don't care. It's because they're bullshit. And we Dan need Hooker's to get rid in last of place. Yeah, Dan Hooker is in last place in the Dan Power Rankings right now. Still get rid of it. It's crap. I'm done. <laughs> Just really quickly, well, I, I said I meant getting rid of the power rankings, especially if I'm still number one, because it's like it's like Anderson, man, the pressure. It's too strong. Let's just put it put it to an end. It's too strong. I think Ryan is the creator of the Dan power rankings. So uh, I'm going to have him listen to this and, and he'll he'll weigh in and you know, maybe they'll be destroyed. Maybe they'll be rearranged. Uh, you know, maybe patron Dan Burrow uh, will move up the rankings. Uh, it's any, anything is possible. But yeah. Is this our longest podcast ever? I think this is our longest podcast ever. <laughs> uh, that was not the intention, but we all had very good things to say. And uh, it's because it's they brought me on board ah. because I'm the long man. I think we all rambled equally 
long periods of time. I think the, the, the only person that listened to this deeply is are going to be odd setters for websites for when they have to put fantasy lines out. Like this is going to be a great resource for those people at least. So you're welcome. I do this for me. Like when we have to write staff picks later, if I don't have these conversations, I don't know what my read is. I come up with it during the podcast and I'm like, okay, I talk myself into things. Um, that being said, I don't feel like any of us sounded very confident about any of these results, which just means that these are awesome matchups. And uh, I hope every single one of them happens somehow, which is not possible, but I hope we see all of all of these fights. Um, yeah. This was the, the super long uh, lightweight mini tournament round Robin podcast. Uh, it'll happen in our dreams at the very least. You can kind of feel like it happened here. Uh, I'm sorry to Michael Chandler that I, I had you going one and two, um and dan sorry for saying that you got submitted by bantamweights and uh <laughs> and uh sure i'm sorry for saying that uh and now defunct you know dead in the eyes of the united states promotions lightweight would beat all of you <laughs> and dan albert has nothing to apologize for because he's been a gentleman so yeah i so. i i have nothing to apologize for that's right <laughs> that's uh that's it i'm gonna wrap it up no need to do anything else uh Check us out on Patreon, read all of the descriptions that we put on everything, because that's where all the things I'm going to plug are located anyway. And uh, yeah, the end. If you listen to this, you're, you're a trooper. Bless you. Bless you so much. Okay.